looking. I was gonna say, are you? Oh, are you? You're looking uh pretty uh svelte in like well, over time that, was, that I've seen. I, you. I'm glad we're recording because that was gonna be my next my next bit. Um, <laughs> the uh, I'm often. And by the way, how's my mic? Because I forgot my mic. Does this sound okay, Mike? You 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 sound you're you're a little echoey, but I think it's fine. Um, no, I, I, should we'll I try just, the? We'll piece? just. Yeah, we'll just we'll yeah, I think they will be. I I agree. I think we'll just uh we'll just make sure you know you're because you're staying with family. You're still so you're still in Arizona. I'm still in Arizona. Yeah, we'll just we'll just make sure. Just we'll just just, give me give me a a Pepsi challenge test. (laughs) How how does this sound? Honestly, I cannot hear any difference. Vice, do you hear any difference? It sounds about the same. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know what? It doesn't feel like it's really connected. So all right, I'm gonna disconnect. See, he's doing the same thing I was doing. We were saying earlier, every time yeah. I log in, when I first meet Mike, I'm like talking to myself, trying to set shit up. Every uh, time I'm... Vice, every time Vice logs in, it's a blank screen, and I immediately hear, "All right, I gotta, I gotta do this, set this up, and now this is going." And it just it tickles me to no fucking end. I just love it. I just sit here with a smile on my face, <laughs> waiting for Vice to figure, like waiting for the guy that actually works in IT to figure <laughs> out his computer shit. <laughs> but that's the thing. That, that, that's the uh, the checklist. That's the like you know doing the, the diagnostics one part, then the next. Which is it working? That's that's how the brain works. Even though I should know by now. <laughs> but no, we'll just when we start actually doing the episode, I'll just let people know you're in Arizona and you're working on a. I mean, fuck, I'm still working on my backup mic because I haven't fixed my mixer yet, and my okay. goddamn camera keeps moving because the cable keeps getting in the way. So, fucking hold on. Oh, the whole there's the TV screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love this. So I got I got this TV at the Goodwill for like twenty five bucks, and uh, it's a thirty six inch. It's on a rolling stand. It's great. Yeah, those rolling stands underrated now. Now you're like, oh, you know, it's actually kind of nice. Yeah, I actually have two. I I have one in my in my shop, my workshop outside that I can roll out onto our patio, and we can watch movies on our patio. Uh, you know, in the summer nights, it's it's great. Remember that part of Die Hard Four, where he's like, uh, "Where they go to uh, uh, the, the this is my command center." <laughs> Look, yeah. Mike has this full on command headquarters going on here. Oh, oh, yeah, like, hold on. <laughs> this is this is what I see every week when we record. Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> you got the you got the weather. You got the satellite locations. <laughs> yeah, Beladen's compound over there. Look at that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I even have that's that's the the one that's not turned on is the uh, old school PS3 TV. You remember when Sony did the PS uh, the 3D PlayStation TV? I got one on Facebook Marketplace for like a hundred bucks. It's awesome. It's got my hacked PS3 hooked up to it. I can throw on 3D glasses, play a game. It's beautiful. Um, wow. Yeah. I guess Here. what I was what Weiss was saying about the spelt is that uh, I don't know if you guys remember last year. I was here, but I also got sick. And uh, I just think, hey, look, a lot of times I'm the only uh, white person in the room and the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we had these big monster shrimp. They were so big, they looked like lobsters. And and, uh, and my sister-in-law is Chinese. She cracks up in the head and I'm like, what's going on over there? She's like, oh, these little pieces of meat right next to the brain, they're, they're pretty good. They got a little yolk on them and she's just eating them. I'm like, all right, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> A few hours later, I'm just like splotching, just started getting red and uh, dude, just one of the worst nights of my life of uh, food poisoning. Uh, oh, no. 
No, that, that was Friday night. So yesterday I just laid in bed and and binged the Mission Impossible movie. So yeah, uh, yeah it's a good, good way to lose a few pounds. Uh, puke <laughs> and shit your guts out for uh, 12 hours straight and then lay in bed drinking Gatorade. That's it. Uh, so so I, great. I do need to address also this, uh, what's going on here. So, uh, you know, normally I would just say this to you boys, but fuck it, I'll put it in the cold open. I, I got a new, I got new clippers and uh, I got them because they're cordless and they have the ceramic thing uh, for, you know, ball trimming. But I decided to, <laughs> but I had not used them to trim my balls yet. I decided to use them to trim my face and the guards are all fucked up. Like they're, they're like, the numbers are all wrong based yeah. on my old trimmers. So like I shaved and I was like, what the, f-? like, dude, I have not, like, you have not seen my chin in like, 10 years this is this is not okay i do not i, I have no chin this is not okay i'm like liam i need the beard right uh, the beard. uh so Although you do look young and, and and you look fresh i will say i i'm not i'm not hating it i didn't uh, i noticed something was different but I yeah didn't yeah uh nah yeah. I, I need the beard uh but, no, but also uh, you have like you have like little like the uh the wind flaps in the back for your for your hair. Oh yeah, my like... hair is my hair is out of control. I am going full Swayze with my hair. I <laughs> I have I have the one disadvantage to cutting your own hair because I cut my own hair because I learned how to do that on during the pandemic mm-hmm. is it requires me because frankly there are a few things that give me more anxiety than barbershops. Like like they literally I cannot do that. I have to take a fucking Xanax to go get my hair cut. <laughs> Uh, but the I, problem is, it's, I find them so relaxing. It's so strange. no, no, I, no. I, I zen out in them so much. If if I could guarantee that they wouldn't fucking talk to me, <laughs> I would be fine. I would, I would find you them need the relaxing. Uber options. For yeah, the I need the, I need the like, oh, do no not talk to me. I don't, don't no talk music. to me. Yeah, well, because they always ask me what I do for a living, and then I have that weird, awkward moment of like, I have to lie. And then inevitably they start asking more questions. You know, I'm usually like, oh, I work for the government. Oh, what do you do for the government? And then eventually they, you know, you'll get those ones that keep poking. And I'm like, oh, I'm a prosecutor. Oh, my cousin just got arrested. You know, <laughs> let me tell you what the fucking cops did to him. Yeah, just cut my goddamn hair. Please. Um, okay. yeah, you gotta be, chill. You gotta be here, like, here in New York where like all the barbers are Dominican. Asian. Like, so every time I go there, they'll, they'll talk to me in Spanish because they think I'm Dominican too. And like, I have like, uh, number two. That's all I know. And like, they don't, they don't say anything else, but it comes out pristine every time. Yeah, but the one drawback to cutting your own hair is it gets very easy to continue putting it off. Uh, yeah. And so I, I got, I got, yeah, I got some shit going on here. Like uh, I got, you, you I got, got the, uh, the Bobby, the brain. Heenan look going yeah. On. Yeah. So it. absolutely. 100%. I, I am going full brain with this right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyway, all right. We should actually maybe consider recording a proper yeah. episode. Um,
All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's episode of Action for Everyone for this year, July 9th, 2023. Uh, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to listen to our preview of the Mission Impossible series so you can get ready for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. I am, as always, your host, Mike Scott, joined by Vice Victus. Vice, how are you today? Hey, what's going on, people? Just having a nice, lovely, uh, comfortable, relaxing Sunday morning with the lads. You know, no, no, no crazy missions today for me. I'm just gonna, you know, enjoy the time together. Yeah. <laughs> it's not mission difficult. It's mission impossible, Mister Hunt. And yet, I go. I want mission comfortable. Can I have mission comfortable? Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to sit at a pool. Yes, I can do that. <laughs> Liam O'Donnell in Arizona visiting family, rocking a Walmart Corona sleeveless shirt today. Uh, but size medium. Oh, look at this dude. Oh, my God. Size I medium. Wish, I wish I could fit in the medium. Unfortunately, I, I can only fit in the small in, there, in Arizona Walmart. But he did forget his mic, so if he sounds a little off, that's why. But he sounds fine. You can hear him just fine, so we don't have. we're not going to have any problems. Uh, but yes, uh, Arizona sizes and LA sizes are apparently two very different things. Two worlds. Uh, yeah, uh, great to great to be back with you guys. I missed everybody uh, last week, um, but you know, I feel like we've we've charged up, and uh, and we've had a, had a full Fourth of July week, and we're we're ready to go. So yeah, I'm excited to to hear everybody's thoughts on uh, on the docket of the day, and I guess that starts with uh, with Mike. Yeah, because once again, I am the fucking sucker. Uh, despite the fact that, you know, my life is in shambles, I still made time to go see Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, unlike <laughs> these two assholes. Uh, yeah, but you know what? It actually turned out fine, uh, because unlike some of the other times we've been suckered, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. I had what I thought was a very innocuous tweet about Dial of Destiny last week that just took the fuck off and was a goddamn nightmare on Twitter. I ended up muting it and blocking half the responses. But here's the thing with Dial of Destiny. It's fine, man. The movie's fine. Harrison Ford's invested, which is awesome. Like, yeah. like that's great. Uh, it, it, it's a perfectly to use a Simpsons line, it's a perfectly cromulent blockbuster. <laughs> like, and, and, and I had some people be like, oh, that's what I want out of a blockbuster is competent. Well, you know, motherfucker, I've seen Thor Love and Thunder. I know yeah. what a non-competent blockbuster looks like. Like this, mm. this, it's, it's good. It's, it, the problem is it's Indiana Jones. If this was a reboot of The Mummy, everybody would be flipping shit over it. Like if they, yeah. if they, if this was Brendan Fraser, you know, uh, in the dial of destiny, everybody would be flipping <laughs> shit over it. But it's, it's, there is a certain level and I get it. There is a certain level that we expect from an Indiana Jones movie. But I do think that maybe that's being unrealistic about previous Indiana Jones movies, except for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Like Raiders is a perfect movie. Raiders is arguably the greatest action movie of all time. Last Crusade has maybe the greatest opening of any movie of all time, but the rest of the movie is is good. Potentially parts of it great. Uh, Temple of Doom is weird and messy as fuck. And Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is... I'm sorry, I just do not understand that movie getting the shit that it gets. Do I think it's great? No. Do I think the idea of... A Steven Spielberg, George Lucas movie 
being the worst thing ever made is ridiculous with that kind of skill and that kind of talent on display. Do I think, and that's actually going to come up when we get into mission impossible. Cause I'm going to say something very similar to that about a mission impossible movie. Uh, do I think there's major problems in kingdom of the crystal skull? Sure. Uh, dial of destiny, arguably it's, it's, its lows are not as low as Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but its highs are not nearly as high because as much as I like James Mangold, he ain't fucking Steven Spielberg. Mm. But that being said, the movie's fine. The movie's fine. It's good. It's entertaining. It it, it really did, did not need to be this referendum on fucking blockbuster movies. Um, yeah, and, and even this past month, you know, this something you see the dire state, what some might say. Something like you know the Flash, where a similar thing with the well, so many movies with this legacy uh, cast or bringing back old shit, and even that, you know, we have enough to the point now where we can now tell like you kind of feel like this is not gonna work. Like, like you have to make a special X factor of like Coogler with Creed or something, something like that to kind of know that oh, this they're bringing this old shit back for a reason. But you know, like having Michael Keaton back in the Flash, like with, with these like kind of like these. These empty one-liners from the past that weren't really one-liners to begin with is like a no. That that's what a bad book book look like, you know. Like compared to that, you know, even even just with recent memory, there's a lot. Of, there's like there's lots worse and also lots better. But yeah, it's very 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 strange to see the panic and vitriol over Indiana Jones uh, five now. It's like I mean, yeah. what'd you guys expect? <laughs> and it it actually has something to say about Indiana Jones as a character, which to me is kind of like if you're going to do one of these legacy sequels, you know, compare it to something like Independence Day Resurgence, which had you know, far bit for me to talk shit on Roland Emmerich. He's my boy. But <laughs> compare it to Independence Day Resurgence, which had nothing to say about any of the characters, Independence Day. It, this actually has stuff to say about Indiana Jones as a character. Mm. And frankly, if you watched the young indiana jones series there's some tie-ins and shit it like it feels very much of a piece with the indiana jones arc mm -hmm. so is it a perfect movie no is it the antichrist yeah fucking touch grass get the fuck out and go like breathe some nice oxygen have a beer and touch grass um it, it's not um i'm sorry it's it's fine it's fine it's a it's a it's a perfectly competent three-star blockbuster nobody's ever gonna make raiders of the lost ark again fucking steven spielberg couldn't make couldn't do, yeah, exactly. lost ark again like <laughs> if if your bar is raiders of the lost ark for an indiana jones movie you are going to be continually disappointed. There is absolutely no scenario in which you will ever be happy if that is your bar. Because in my opinion, you are competing with... It's like Jaws. If your bar is Jaws, fucking you're never going to be happy with a shark movie. Like, you know, like, like it's just... If your bar is Empire Strikes Back, you're never going to be happy with a Star Wars movie. Like, these are not the bars by which we should measure other movies. We measure them by die hard with a vengeance. We measure them by lethal weapon three. You know what I mean? Like you don't measure them by the amazing movies. You measure them by the ones that are fine. And yeah. by that regard, dial of destiny, I don't have much to add to it. It's fine. I literally have nothing to add other than it's fine. And that's not the end of the world.
Liam, I know you, you and I, I remember when we first met, we talked about Last Crusade. So I know you've got, you've got feelings on Indiana. No, yeah, no, I mean, I I love, I love Last Crusade, but I think it's, it's also just my age, you know, that coming out when you're like seven. And that was the one that I got on VHS and watched over and over. And it's, it's a little bit more of a modern movie, I think. Then, but then when I got older, Raiders, I always feel like some of these movies uh, change as to what your favorite is. And then I, I remember Joshua Cordes said, like, when he did the marathon in the big screen, that he was like, dude, Temple of Doom plays the best on the big screen of the three of them because it's just nonstop action and it's insane. He's like, so he's like, actually, Crusade felt smaller after after temple of doom and I was, oh that's interesting so i kind of like can see all of them and i think the conversation between those three is interesting and it's just not really that interesting with crystal skull like it's like yeah well, yeah okay like i then i think a lot of it comes down to uh slocum the dp and just how the those first three movies look of a piece um you know and and and, and, and the team of them uh, they, it, it, they all are just you know impossibly gorgeous looking uh, produce movies, but uh, no, I mean, I, I just I obviously it's just insane to me that there's an indie movie in the theater, and I don't really, I'm not even really been racing out to see it, and I just think it's uh, the more the interesting thing is like once Spielberg says he's not going to make this, like should they have made it? And I, I mean, I'm glad Ford got uh, his swan song, and then he seems like he's really emotionally invested, but I think it it just it does interestingly go hand in hand with the the Keaton conversation that you're bringing up and things that like, they, they seem to be making movies for like 2010 era Comic-Con and it's 2023, you know what I mean? And it's it's kind of like, I don't know guys, like I, 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 this isn't really for the masses anymore. It's yeah. you're, you're hitting a kind of declining demographic. I don't know. Yeah, you can't, and I cannot disagree with that. And obviously, you know, again, I know a lot of people rightfully say we shouldn't care about budget or box office but i mean the fact that it costs 300 million dollars is patently ridiculous there there is not 300 million dollars on the screen uh in this movie now i think part of that is probably absorbed in development costs because this was you know workshopped so much uh but i will say you know when i look at a movie like this i think about just like what Cordes said i think about i'm sitting in a theater a rep screening and I'm watching all five Indiana Jones movies starts at 7 PM and I'm going to leave at 7 AM. Am I going to leave before dial of destiny? I'm going to peace out at two in the morning. I'm not, I think it makes a nice, I think it makes a nice, I don't like it because I really do like where Indy ends up at the end of kingdom of the crystal skull that they undo completely in this movie. That kind of pisses me off, but I still think I'm not going to leave early. It, it's yeah. a nice wrap up. It feels like an Indiana Jones movie. It doesn't feel right. like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, that actually, I think you've, you've set the right expectations for me to go see it at this point. So, yeah, well done. Yeah. yeah. I just, uh, uh, for me, I always just, it's kind of funny or fascinating to see the, uh, that when King's School happened and, uh, well, I guess, the first Indiana Jones, they kind of set the template for what modern audiences expect of a, um, like a f- fantasy epic or, or no, specifically like a, uh, like ancient spiritual kind of epics, you know, the, the grail and the, the, the Hindu voodoo shit going on. Or I don't know the name precisely, but, uh, you know, the evil sorcerer 
and then you know the the the, the holy grail night. And then, like, I guess when people say they're mad because they make the quote unquote jump to sci-fi with the the extra dimensional beings or whatever in uh, part four, and now there's like some, some time travel going on. Apparently, this sorry, it was a spoiler. That's not spoilers. It's a no. A, I mean, that's in the trailers. It's time yeah. travel. Like the yeah. Dial of Destiny is a time travel machine. Yeah. So I people like you know one of the failures of the trailers is that they don't explicitly spell out that it's a time travel movie. Yeah. Um, so you know, people are all mad. Like you know, it's, it's, it's like Indiana Jones makes the quote unquote jump to sci-fi. But like that's part of the. I mean, and I understand at one point that you know that older school, old school style of pulp novel that it, that it, that it's from, um, you know, with the more like uh, I don't even know if grounded is the word, like uh, historical uh, nonsense. Then it kind of feels like it's future nonsense. But no, it's just like it's nonsense. He's a, he, he's a he travels into the, like hey, you're touching the- upon Americans like issue with religion though. Like- yeah, the movie, the literally the first movie in the series proved the Judeo Christian God exists. The second one proves the Hindu gods exist. Like the idea that the fourth one shows that aliens exist and that's somehow bullshit. And the fifth one shows that time travel exists is somehow bullshit. Literally the wrath of God is proven in the first movie. And Indiana Jones is still like, nah, whatever. You know, like, yeah, I mean, literally that- a year later and he's like fortune and glory kid. Cause it's yeah. um, no. Yeah. But we're touching on American, like, when you talk to super religious Americans and they, 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 they're like, no, 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 this, because I've had it my whole life, a steady diet that like that this, the, the great man with big white beard in the sky is somehow different than, you know, sci-fi or even ancient mythology. It's all very similar. So, <laughs> but like Americans don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's actually one of the great things, especially again, if you've watched the young Indiana Jones series, it all exists. It's all real. It's kind of like the X-Files, like right. really like a pulp X-Files where it's like, it's all real. All those conspiracies, all that shit, it's all real. But you've got Indy being very much like Scully. He requires the proof, you know, and, and even when he gets the proof, it's like, okay, well, I know the Ark has the wrath of God, but that doesn't necessarily actually mean God exists, right? That doesn't mean that the Jesus existed and the Holy Grail is real. Like, you know, right. like that's actually one of, I think, the brilliant conceits of the series. Uh, and that's something that, yeah, I definitely feel like people, I don't know. I, 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 I honestly those. don't think that that would have been as big of a deal if the rest of the movie clicked and, and I, my whole theories of Crystal Skull is that it, it's an adventure where John Hurt actually already did the adventure before. Right, right. And so you're just kind of sitting there watching this goofy old guy half remember what he did for the second half. And you're like, that's not exciting. The, so that's like the, kind of a broken concept. The biggest thing with Crystal Skull for me is I actually think the character work is really terrific in that movie, especially Indy and Marion. And I think that's a thing that people poo-poo. They look and they go, oh, CGI ants. And I'm like, well, A, first of all, typical Spielberg in a PG-13 movie, some you know dudes getting eaten alive by fucking fire ants you know yeah, yeah it, it looks fun. it's cg but yeah uh but uh but i think the character work is really solid in that movie um i mean i love the end when they're on the mountain and and indy's just like sit down junior you know like and like there's there's some really nice stuff in that movie and i think 
it's one of those things. I think it's that fucking South Park episode, like ruined any <laughs> ability to have a discussion about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, because I think it's a flawed movie. I don't I don't disagree with that. Uh, yeah, but... it, it, it's not. It's but it's it's just like The Last Jedi and all these ones that people get hyper fixated on. Like the, it, it's more these little story engine issues that complicate things that, that you're like things aren't clicking here so then you hyper fixate on some some swing and a miss gags here and yeah there. yeah you know yeah you you fixate on mutt swinging through the jungle with with monkeys right you don't think <laughs> about is insane even when you say it out loud yeah yeah but you <laughs> don't think about the amazing motorcycle chase and you don't think about indy reconnecting with mary and then you don't think about you know, you don't think about all the things in that movie that work. And I would argue Dial of Destiny and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull are the same in that they work more than they don't. The problem is the stuff that doesn't work really, really fucking doesn't work. And so if you're going into it in maybe bad faith, it's real easy. Same with The Last Jedi. Look, I am a, a absolute stand for The Last Jedi. But I will admit, Ryan... There's some things in that movie that Ryan misfired on. But I think if you're fixating, it's it's so easy to fixate on those and miss. You're missing the fucking forest for the trees. Right. If you do right. That. It is kind of like script watcher writ large in some ways, because it's like, oh, that part's not working. But you're not realizing that there's these other parts of the script that are actually the reason why you're not like letting go of the moment and just pulled in with the adventure. You know what I mean? It's like we all talk, we always talk about with like, I, I actually was just, uh, I was just, for some reason today, I randomly decided to scroll through Todd Vizieri's Twitter feed. Uh, because, oh my God. Yeah, no, he's been no. on fire lately. He's been doing yeah, well. he's been on yeah. fire. And and I do have to, I, I, I'm going to put this out here on this episode. I don't know if Todd listens, but a couple of years ago, I got real fired up at Todd because I thought he was insulting Brandon and uh I I retract that that was a bullshit position for me to take it was terrible um Todd's a genius and a mastermind and also like gives no fucks on Twitter so I was scrolling through his feed and just thinking about well a lot of what he was saying that you and I have had these discussions about VFX right you notice the bad VFX and the problem is the good VFX you don't notice. And so you it's so easy to fixate on the bad ones. It's so easy to fixate and use that as like this blanket thing to say, oh, this movie has shitty CGI or shitty VFX when it's like, well, no, there's 15,000 VFX shots in this and you're pissed off about 200 of them. Like, <laughs> you know, that leaves... 14,800 that you didn't even fucking notice were VFX. And I feel like when it comes to scripts, that's something that a lot of people do as well. Yeah, yeah. And I'd also like to take this moment to announce that uh, there are no VFX in Beyond Skyline or Skylines. The <laughs> Miamians were real. Uh, thank you, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> here, no vfx uh, it's all practical everything about all practical. it like, those, you those literally real. you you literally built a ship to fly <laughs> to an alien planet <laughs> hired them on scale to come and meet <laughs> yeah, but last thing i'll say about the jones is actually kind of a tangent uh i'm not i'm not a big indian jones super family you know, i enjoy the movies um but i did get into when i was a kid um like some there's an anime uh thing uh called spriggan or striker 
has kind of this bringing ideas. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think I mentioned this uh, last year when the uh, the Netflix series came out, which is actually kind of a legacy redo of itself. But basically, the idea is uh, he's like a super soldier kid, and he gets into like these adventures with that involve these similar um ancient relics and um you know mystical stuff and space stuff. But it all feels of a piece because like uh, that's part of the uh, part of the mission of it all. Like they're like for example, like uh, one of the main stories, the main arcs, uh, Noah's Ark is an actually it's actually uh, a alien world engine, so to speak. It like uh, controls the environment, the climate, and like is and also like is a uh, lab for life. Like the dinosaurs and life came from that thing. You know, it's a very, very old grand scale thing. But like, what makes it fun is that um he's just like a soldier dude. So like it's all like a like these giant like, like combat like Schwarzenegger style gunfights over the arc. You know that that's kind of it's, it's sauce. You know, and I was thinking that um you know we mentioned how some of these sci-fi concepts kind of are. Are a bridge too far for some audiences or a lot of audiences, and I think that you know it could, that could, that kind of stuff could still work if you have that uh, more cohesive way to do it, like something that Spriggan does. Although funny enough, that even then, when the Netflix show came back this past year, it still kind of felt a little off because that even that the Spriggan manga itself was kind of pretty much inspired directly by Indiana Jones, so it had that kind of same uh, verve to it, the cool mystical stuff, but also this like you know. 80s Schwarzenegger style stuff like it's like Indiana Jones is, is as it, as it, it's as if uh, Schwarzenegger was Indiana Jones so it's a very cool like military macho stuff mixed with the uh, Predator mixed with Indiana Jones so it's kind of but that's that's the thing that's hard to do now because those two things are so not outdated but um they're of their time in some respects so it's hard to replicate that even for this property and I, so you know I, I do think that it is possible to do something like that in, in the coming coming years in the future but I remember it's, it's kind of this will go into our discussion today. I think there was one um, attempt at that that was pretty bold, um, with as part of the uh, the doomed dark universe where they had the the mummy re reboot, you know, the mystical stuff, but it was like full of like soldier dudes and like the, the C one thirty, you know, uh, crash landing, you know, Tom Cruise going ah, you know, and uh, that was an attempt at that to try to like meld the you know older mystical stuff with like modern tactical sensibilities, but you know, ultimately it it failed. <laughs> but you know, and, and, but through no fault of the uh, the maestro Tom Cruise for be sure, just uh, kind of as a crazy ass, you know, shot in the dark that that didn't land. But you know, hey, he he uh, has his own thing to go to, so he didn't need to, he didn't need that. He has, of course, his vaunted, hallowed Mission Impossible series to fall back on, <laughs> to fall back on, as it were. <laughs> so yeah, and this is actually something that I think maybe Marvel is suffering from its own success on this. Oh, Jesus. My Dr. Pepper is picking up on my microphone. <laughs> um, but uh, is some of the ways this, and this is the thing the indie series has always really understood, is some of the ways this outlandish stuff works is you need a character who's fucking over it. Mm. You know, and now we get into the Marvel universe where we're at now and, I mean, you can't have that character, right? Like, literally, Thanos snapped half the universe away, and after the Eternals, there's a giant fucking hand, like, <laughs> taking up half of the Earth. You can't have a character who's just like, yeah, I don't believe in any of this shit. But Indiana <laughs> Jones, you can still have Indy be a cynic. You can still have Scully be a cynic, and that that's a an effective narrative device. Mm -hmm. Um I did not mean for us, we have actually spent way too long talking about Dial of Destiny, but it's it's fine. It's it, People should see it. If you don't want to go pay to see it, I'm not going to judge you, but when it shows up on inevitably on Disney+, Plus, watch it. Like, yeah. it's 
James Mangold doesn't make bad movies. <laughs> I mean, that just is the reality. He doesn't make bad movies. It's not a bad movie. It's good. Yeah. Watch it. Shout out to a man, Boyd Holbrook, uh, bringing up the uh, the henchman legacy. <laughs> oh, man. I need somebody to give Boyd Holbrook a real role. Mm. He is so good <laughs> as the henchman. And Mangold loves him. I mean, you know, he's in Logan. Yeah. He's in he's in uh, Shane Black casts him in The Predator. Like, Boyd Holbrook needs to be like, he needs somebody to do for him what people have done for Walton Goggins. Because that's what I legit think Boyd Holbrook could be. I think he could be the new Walton Goggins. Because mm. uh, unfortunately, I think he's kind of wasted in Dial of Destiny. I, I, and he shouldn't, I mean, he's doing everything he can with the movie, but he's, <laughs> he's got so much more to give. Um mm. All right, next one I want to talk about really quick, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because Vice already did a very thorough review of it, but I watched The Covenant twice, uh, and uh, I watched it on the 4th of July back-to-back with 13 hours, and let me tell you something, that was a fucking delightful... Well, delightful is maybe not the right word for (laughs) both of those movies, but that was a nut-punching double feature that i just loved um vice i told you i felt like you undersold it i don't think you really did but i think maybe you did for me uh but goddamn, uh it's wrath of man good man yeah it's yeah and i guess i i've already said my piece about it but i just want to kind of emphasize even now people who haven't seen it and are not available to on on uh, on streaming and said um it is not the thing you expected that the trailer is selling it's not like a it's not a rah rah war film. It's not a. It's not even a uh, like a spy tactical film. It's like a, it's a it's a mournful, sorrowful character piece that just happens to take place in the global war on terror in Afghanistan. It's just, it's really like really powerful stuff. Even though yeah, it, but you know, there's still like cool shootouts to sit like that. You know, and there's still like some um, there's still a, a minor aversions to to American power and stuff. But it's not about that. I said at all. It's about this this the story of these. This bond between two men and the you know going to hell together, and it's it's really yeah really like classically powerful stuff that I think people take it for true again or did or didn't even expect that uh, Mercy would have in him. I didn't honestly. Uh, you know I, I didn't see this movie come from him. And it was great that he did. The uh, the the you know minor spoilers, but the I tweeted this out that the the line that is not how this debt works. This this debt requires a result, not an appeasement. I I was like, okay, yeah, fuck you, Guy Ritchie. You you have got me. And the biggest thing that I will say coming from this is uh I so I obviously Olga and Scott are my favorite actors. That's never gonna change. But I've always said that my favorite actor is Ethan Hawke. I love Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke is amazing. Ethan Hawke never considers a project beneath him. Whether it's the most genre shit imaginable, he gives his all. He's been usurped. Jake <laughs> Gyllenhaal is my now favorite actor because <laughs> Gyllenhaal does the same thing. He There's no project that Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't consider the greatest project he's ever worked on. Yeah. His fucking 
Mr. Music on the John Mulaney special. Like he, yeah, like yeah. he never, there is nothing that Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't think is the best thing he's ever worked on. And uh, he's incredible in this, but uh, I need to, I, and I didn't pull it up. Darceline, I believe is his name. Yeah. Dar- he, yeah. Yeah. And he, who is, I mentioned it before, again, he's a, he's a superstar in his own right. In his yeah. home, in his home nation. He's, he's like a Iraqi Danish. Um, so most of his films are, are Denmark, but no, like he literally, the movie does not work without him because he's literally carrying the movie on his back when Gillen Hall is not. The, the entire second act is all on him. Yeah, that's what's it's just it's a a very fascinating structure because the first act is the two of them, the second act is all Darceline, and then the third act is all Jake Gyllenhaal. And mm-hmm. man, yeah, it's. Hey, Liam, yeah, Something I didn't bring up in the last the, the last episode, but um, it, it, there's been ongoing conversations about the the next action hero, you know, the next American action hero, which and we we we've, we've definitely done our piece on that too. But you know, I do think that is there. Uh, I, I randomly I happened to um our friend, you know, shout to uh Frankie Thompson Kung Fu and Derek, with the uh, the, uh, the roundup three or Outlaw three came out recently, so they posted clips on there on Twitter and it got a great response. And I guess my my point is that um, are we I really want to start us as a culture as a mainstream culture looking at the international action heroes because there's so much gold out there and they've been doing their own thing in their own respective countries for for years now you know it'd be a don lee or, or darcy liam the darcy liam is he's, he could throw down he's like a fucking like danish iraqi denzel in a way you know he he, he does he can hold his own in the action and drama stuff like i i just hope that if people give this a chance like, like the covenant or things like right now whatever anything like that They'll see that they're like you know the 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 myth I think of uh, well no there's some truth to it that the the action hero is dying because not the not because of the people the actors but because of its environment that there's no studio system like that anymore like there was in the 80s 90s but no there's plenty of people out there in the world who like uh, greatly carry the torch of action heroes man and like Darcy was one of them he's and you know again and he's like has the gravitas to back it up too like you just can't take your eyes off him in this movie it's great. Yeah, I mean it it honestly it's going to rival John Wick for for my favorite movie of the year. Like I it mm, good stuff. Uh I, I and- liked what you said Mike about how, you know, um Guy Ritchie he does Wrath the Man, one of your favorite movies of the year, then he does Orson Fortune, <laughs> one of your least, and then he does this one of your favorite. And I don't know, I think that's kind of cool. It's kind of like um you know, like movies are so they're alchemy, and it's it's a it's a mix of of all all your collaborators, and I, I kind of like I kind of like that. It's like a little Rennie Harlan, you know. Like I love Rennie Harlan movies, but some Rennie Harlan movies are just like sky high. Like I just watched Cliffhanger last week, mm-hmm. and I was like, this movie's so fucking good. <laughs> and then some movies are, you know, just like ah, oh, I guess I didn't really have the support team on that one, you know. So Orson Fortune is clearly it's so much. I actually have a greater appreciation for it because it's so much after he and Statham finished Wrath of Man. They're like, we want to go on a fucking vacation. (laughs) And and, in like that, I get that. Like, I don't have. And that's that's Guy Ritchie to a T, right? When Guy Ritchie misses, he misses big. God, he misses wide. (laughs) <laughs> but when he hits, he fucking hits. And, uh, you know, if I had to suffer through Orson Fortune to get the Covenant, <laughs> man, I'm going to I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that trade every goddamn time. 
like I will suffer through five Orson fortunes to get a uh, to get a covenant because that's how much I thought. And again, watching it back to back with 13 hours, which is just again, if people haven't seen it. It's Michael Bay in full masterpiece mode. It's not ambulance, but it's it has now become my second Bay movie after ambulance Uh, because it's. I had not and Kelsey had not seen it, so we watched it together. Watching her watch it and sit there and just not knowing the real story because she didn't, you know, pay attention to the Benghazi stuff. She had no idea who is and isn't gonna die. So she's just sitting there sweating the whole fucking movie, waiting to see because Bay does such a good job and such a misdirect job of setting up. Hey, you're talking about your baby and you're talking about retiring and you're talking about all of this. And man, I, I'm sorry, 13 hours. If you don't like that movie, you don't like me like that's, like that's it's a great movie, man. It's, it's a true. fucking great movie. And it's watching it in great. the covenant back to back was I mean, that was. A lot of people, it was really funny. A lot of people on the fourth were like, what are movies that are about America, but kind of like shitty and uh and i'm like well i just watched 13 hours in the covenant so i think i did about as good as anybody could because uh yeah yeah um I, I took the opposite track and uh and did uh armageddon and uh and 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 my daughter who had never seen that before and and i had a little bit of a tweet that people were shocked and she was just like wait he died and like she was just very upset uh by and then by the last 20 minutes she's like AJ can't die. AJ can't die when he got the straws. And I was, and, and I'm just like, why don't you come and sit on my lap for the next 20 minutes? Oh, and it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was just great. We, I, I, but it, um, you know, just, just, I've always loved that movie. And, and it was, it was so satisfying to see it again and see it work on, on my daughter. And it is, you know, it's a father daughter story. Yeah. So then my, my brother-in-law and you guys know, this is, I don't even know if I want to say this publicly because I'm the biggest, you know, independence day fan out there, but my brother-in-law put it on after Armageddon and I'd already seen it a few times recently and seen it with the kids. So I was kind of got up and doing things that the dads know you can't actually watch two movies back to back on a given day. <laughs> uh, the, the one I was getting side eye, um, but it felt like the movie was in slow motion after watching it. And there is like, it is hard to watch other movies after a Bay movie because you're like, Hey, speed it up. <laughs> I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with that. And, and no, I, I'm, I'm not, I just, if I were to program them as a double feature, watch Independence Day first, it came out first. Yep. And then watch, watch Armageddon. Armageddon. Yep. Don't do it the opposite way. It, it felt, uh, uh, it wasn't as complimentary to Independence Day, which I love more than most humans and most things on earth. Well, and as yeah. somebody who also loves it as much as you do, I, I, but I think the, you know, I think the thing is the lows of Armageddon are so much lower than the lows of Independence Day. I don't have any lows in Armageddon. I, <laughs> oh, I, I, I do. I do, but, I but no I lows. think the highs are, you know, I have lines I quote from Independence Day, but I'm not sure that I have any that I quote as much as Harry won't fail. He doesn't know how. <laughs> which i mean my god like that just fucking like yeah. tears like like it, it's i mean just... it's 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 like a jj abrams script directed by michael bay it's yeah perfect like yeah like, like that like you know that that is kind of 
JJ scripts are always super propulsive and they uh and super lit speed but also super literal and super overt and not interested in anything remotely resembling subtext uh which armageddon has i mean that's yeah no but then they they call the the visualist doing it so it is it is it is just like oh this is this is this is a uh match made i just like uh billy bob the head of nasa or whatever the fuck and he's like uh we term we term this asteroid as the global killer, as opposed to like you know, this is a alpha level event. No, it's, it's going to kill the world. And that, yeah, just so we're clear, it's called the global killer. Just so he's you know, stars of Texas, sir. Yeah, he's just so good. He's just one and all. And again, the permission to shake the hand of the daughter, the bravest man I ever knew. I'm sorry if you don't tear up during that, you're dead inside. You're fucking dead inside. Like it's Fishner should be on the one dollar bill for that movie. He's so great. The piercing blue eyes. Ah, what a yeah. what an amazing uh, what an amazing cast. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was, no. great, that was a great Fourth of July viewing. I mean, Any- a little too patriotic for uh, for liberal Twitter's uh, liking, but you know, it was okay. I needed a little boost. Yeah, no, I I I will always even remember the tagline because I have that fucking poster. It's in storage. I have a giant like wall sized Armageddon poster that has all the characters and it's got Rockhound. It's, it's got no, it, it, but it's got Bruce Willis that says it says uh, it's got Bruce Willis that says for honor and Ben Affleck that says for love and then Will Patton that says for all mankind. And like, my God, what a fucking tagline, right? Yeah. For love, for honor, for all mankind. Like, God damn. Like, uh, we need that shit back. This is why Dial of Destiny failed. They didn't do this kind of fucking marketing for I, this I movie. See, yeah, where's the big uh, Aerosmith song? I did, yeah. I did karaoke <laughs> of I Don't Want to Miss a Thing uh, two nights later. It was fantastic. Only yeah. problem with that is a karaoke song is that the chorus goes like four times more than you need at the end. You're just like, I don't want to fall asleep. Because it's just, you just get worn out. But man, still, what a great, what a great monoculture moment that uh like you said doesn't really happen nowadays yep all right bum 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 mission impossible dead reckoning coming out this week we are going to give you our a4e style primer there are a thousand podcasts talking about mission impossible but this is ours um and uh i think we're probably going to have some interesting views on this series but uh i mean i don't think there's any question all three of us are coming at this from a position of being fans of the series i mean it, we're, we're we're gonna be dealing with differences in degree not differences of kind depending on how we talk about these movies but we're gonna try and fly through the series in chronological order so mission impossible liam let's go to you first uh, yeah, so I just just completed my rewatch at 2 a.m. last night of the full series. Um, you know, Mission Impossible One. Like speaking of monoculture moments, that was a that was a huge deal. Um, saw it in the theater. Saw it afterwards. I did not really. I, I was aware of the TV show, but I I have no real memory of watching it. It was just kind of knowing that it was a TV show. Uh, I did uh, buy the I think Super Nintendo video game, which was slightly disappointing. But uh, yeah, I was I was all in. I was all in on the first MI, and uh, and then going back to revisit it, it is uh, pretty awesome to see uh, how well it holds up. It it is a Brian De Palma movie, um, 
it's sexy as hell and it is shot masterfully like even like people are pointing out this fish tank scene with Kittredge which is really just two men at a table in a restaurant is you know one of the most tense and uh and exciting scenes in this entire series um so yeah when you go back it's definitely lower on the action point but it's it's craft is through the charts so um you definitely have to rank it up towards the, the the upper half of the series for starting everything off and and doing everything right and it does it does start <clears throat> uh kind of a meta theme within the movies and more kind of in Cruz's career of like cucking <laughs> there's always like something going on in these movies with uh, him wanting to sleep with someone's wife or someone's wife sleeping with that and so it starts here he has this sort of like will they won't they affair with his boss's wife and you know some people say they didn't sleep together some people it's kind of ambiguous uh and and so yeah i i think it's a it's a really interesting you know kind of early 90s blockbuster um that sets a, sets an interesting template and uh definitely holds up so i just uh well I guess it's a funny thing. Uh, looking back at it, like I, uh, I was thinking that for one, you know, the Mission Impossible was is a maybe not strange property to resurrect, but it just kind of did come out of nowhere a little bit. Um, but then when I when I look back, I mean, like it wasn't quite nowhere. And so far as um, I do recall there was this, this weird time where um, there were quite a few a number of uh movies that were um based off of like TV shows from like the seventies and like. Like uh, the the this was ninety six, and before this ninety five was uh the Brady Bunch movie, <laughs> right? Yeah, and then like uh, and later on like ninety eight, I believe it was. It was like they did the Lost in Space, like the super jazzed up Lost in Space movie. So yeah, like uh, so I just it's funny seeing this now and seeing where it's come now and whether Mission Impossible is now considered the um antithesis to the um all the IP driven like blockbusters, but like that shit. That's how it was born. It was the same shit. Like they were people like executives finding the old shit that nobody cared about. And like putting a million dollars, hundred million dollars into it, it's kind of it's the same of the same ilk, but you know again it it went its own direction, its own grew its own way. It was just funny to think about that. I mean, and so and I thought about that because uh, as so recently uh, there was some people who were had who were there at the time, and were cognizant of the time. They said that there were quite a bit of people angry about the well, this is I guess spoiler for a fucking twenty five year movie. Um, that the uh, I guess that that original the main person Phelps. Of the TV show, kind of does that turn in in, in this film played by John Voight, and I, and, I, and I was told that you know oh, shout out to Oliver Byrne you know he was he was one of the OGs there he was like yeah back when Usenet whatever you know like people were mad about this shit and um it's just funny because like but yet it's still well I won't say prescient but it still makes perfect sense for these kinds of people um you know in this in the fictional world yes but also what they're reflect, reflecting all the uh you know so many like um. That's where the whole fucking deep state shit comes from. The whole like QAnon shit. People like uh, and a lot of people in the in the government and the military are are of this mind too. We're like you know oh well, I, what is I hear this line that uh, White says uh well one day you wake up and the president can do whatever he wants. You know, how no, he's, he's running the country without your permission. Yeah, I'm yeah. there. You know? Yeah, you know, but like you know that sounded crazy then, but like look at what we have now. Like the fucking uh General Michael Flynn, you know, commander in, in NATO and shit, going lock her up. Like what the fuck? Like like it was it, it was so true to what these kinds of people can can and do become. So yeah, it was interesting to see like looking back about it with our modern eyes of uh, what 
how it came from and it all makes so much sense <laughs> even even if it wasn't like obvious at first no and, and it was interesting because people said this movie was confusing at the time um and it just uh it's so not confusing now it's just it's such an interesting device that the palma does that he is having crews imagine different stories and so you're cutting to these possible versions of what people are saying the truth before he ultimately is realizing it and i think it's so masterfully and clearly done and if you're confused you're just a dumb dumb <laughs> so i really desperately wanted to jump into Vern's mentions because uh and i didn't want to mess up his mentions uh because uh, you know that's rude but i'm gonna do it here so Vern, I hope you're listening and know that I took the high road and didn't fuck up your mentions. But there was a guy that quote tweeted Vern that was like, I'm old enough to remember that Mission Impossible fans didn't give a shit about this. And I'm like, way to immediately tell me that you weren't fucking old enough to remember that because my dad, my uncle, my grandpa, like everybody who fucking watched Mission Impossible was pissed off about this movie. So fuck your little anecdotal evidence that you didn't think anybody gave a shit. They sure as fuck did. But the way in this, I responded to Vern. I said, the thing is, Voight plays felt so differently than Peter Graves played him. That they're almost our, our friend, the schlocketeer basically said it's an alternate universe, Jim Phelps. And, 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 and he's right. Um, my biggest thing is this is not even remotely my favorite mission impossible movie because I'm not even remotely a Brian De Palma fan. I like some De Palma movies. I, I, I certainly respect De Palma. When I say I'm not a fan, let me make it clear. I am not one of those people who, talk shit on brian de palma his style does not work for me most of the time except for the Unput the untouchables is a masterpiece um and so i didn't love this i'm actually the guy that liked the saint better uh in 1996 because they both came out the same year um but uh you know it set the groundwork and it is what i do love about this it is unmistakably a brian de palma movie I mean, it is unmistakably a Brian De Palma movie. The, the The camera angles, the blocking, everything. It's a Brian De Palma movie. And I love that. I love, as much as I love the directors that come later in the series, the series gets, I don't mean this as a criticism, but it gets a little more and more anonymous. The The first two, and we'll really get into this when we get to the next one, are yeah. so uniquely the products of the directors making them that I can't, I mean, when I am talking, I want to get this out of here, out, out of the way quickly. When I am talking about any Mission Impossible movie, I think at worst, a the worst Mission Impossible movie is a three and a half to four star movie. So yeah. again, varying degree, variances of degree, not of kind. Uh, this one would be at next to the last on my list if I'm ranking them, but still a great movie and, and a great Brian De Palma movie. I mean, it's a fucking Brian De Palma movie that like if you like Brian De Palma, you really should like Mission Impossible. It it's and, and, and I think they were I'm gonna I don't remember this myself, but I, I can only imagine that um there might have been some uh, conf confusion or like surprise that him of all, of all people would helm this. 
but you know he he is of that uh conspiracy sexy thriller kind of bent like that's that's his game that, that's that's his bag but it's just like now it's just like kind of expanded to this hundred million dollar blockbuster but it's still the same that's still the same soul of it all yeah i mean at the yeah, time it came... oh sorry you can go you go i was just gonna say at the time it came out you know it was yeah it was definitely De Palma playing in that untouchables uh playground where he's like i'm gonna make a blockbuster but i'm still gonna be i mean untouchables is De Palma as fuck and it's brilliant i mean it's so good uh you know so it's like him being like yeah i'm gonna play in this blockbuster sandbox but i'm still gonna be brian De Palma. well i was gonna say is that it's interesting and i think this can go right into two is that you know, you can people throw throw the word around vanity project a lot, uh, and 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 you could obviously say that almost every Tom Cruise movie is a vanity project. Um, but I always just think take a step back and and what we talk about with stars and and the people that have gotten to a place where they can sort of control their destiny in some ways, and I think that's what more when we're talking about actors that we're frustrated with, it's the ones that have gotten to a, a very large place of power. And they have sort of hiring power. They have choosing power on who they're going to bring in and what they're going to do. And I think it, it just shows like Cruz is such a goddamn good producer, even right here in his 30s, to bring Brian De Palma in and to put this movie together and to kind of create it like this ultimate little like fan fiction of Mission Impossible around him. Uh, and and so he's not quite fully formed of what the the stunts and everything that he wants to do in the later. But they even he just still has to be like, I'm going to commit to one single bit that is a, a, a crazy person's thing. And I'm going to become a, an actually great sleight of hand magician for one scene in this incredible other jacket. And you're like, so um, I don't know. There's just always th- 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 those things and those criticisms that we say, like, why, why don't people study Tom Cruise? if you're in that position of power, because he always seemed to be making um, at a higher clip than most of his peers, the very smart decision on who to work with and when, um, which brings us then to Mission Impossible 2. So uh, I want to hear more of the, I know Mike has got to have way more backstory on of this movie than any of us. So what, what was your, what was your lead up to like, Oh my God, John Woo is doing a movie with Tom Cruise. Oh yeah, I mean I'm dude, I can't even describe. I mean, I I literally cannot even describe the build up to this for me. I took probably 15 of my friends to see it open opening night and yeah. and and this was also kind of a, also at the height of me watching wrestling. So, just a perfect example when Tom Cruise fucking throws a rock bottom on Dugray Scott. I literally, I, I would never do this, and I would hate if people did it now. I stood up and clapped in the fucking theater and went <laughs> rock bottom, rock bottom. Um, anyway, yeah, no, and and this is this is what's so funny to me about Mission Impossible too. And okay, not to you know, I made fun of that guy saying I'm old enough to remember nobody gave a shit about this. I'm old enough to remember that when Mission Impossible 2 came out, it was the highest grossing movie of the summer and people fucking loved it. Like like this Mission Impossible 2 sucks is some pretty serious revisionism. Uh, It made $200 million and, you know, was huge. 
Uh, and it, it, it allowed John Woo to make wind talkers because it was such a big success. Like, like, but for me, the biggest thing with, so mission impossible Two is hands down my favorite. It's, it's, it's the only, (laughs) it will here's, but here's the thing. No, it should be. It should be. Yeah. John Woo is my second favorite director, right? Like he's up there and in, this is John Woo as fuck. There's no, like the last 40 minutes of this movie. Okay. That that is where I have a little bit of disagreement with. Okay. Is I don't think the second act is John Lewis fuck. And I think it's a very interesting movie when you break down act wise. I think the first act is John Lewis fuck. I think that middle hour feels like Robert Town, like John Lewis shooting a Robert Town script that he's not enjoying that much. And then the last half hour is John Lewis again. Except that- for the, except for the fact that you don't realize one of John Lewis's favorite movies is Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious, and this was his chance to remake Notorious. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, the entire movie is woo as fuck. Um, and it it's it's a remake of Notorious, my favorite Hitchcock movie. So I've got John Woo starring with Tom Cruise remaking my favorite Hitchcock movie. So wait, like, is Notorious the is that the like you the like you have to go sleep with your ex boyfriend? You, no, it's the it's the you have to go. It's Cary Grant has to go seduce Ingrid Bergman. But yes, he puts her in a position where uh, she has to sleep with Claude Rains to try and get information. But she and Cary Grant end up falling in love. Um, yeah, I mean, it's notorious. OK, OK, yeah, OK. Yeah, that's the part that's like feels to me the most like. Uh, like I, it's it's a, it's an interesting ask of the audience to be like. I want the hero to put the girl in to ha- have sex with the ex that he's in love with. Yeah. So I think that's the icky part that people, it's not, it doesn't fit with the rest of it as much. It's not, it's not yeah. fun. And, and again, I, I'm coming from this as notorious as my favorite Hitchcock movie. And it was prior to me seeing Mission Impossible too. So like I'm coming at it from, this is John Woo remaking notorious. Um, and then you get that last 40 minutes that is just fucking woo unhinged. And and I love what I will never, there is nothing in a mission impossible movie that's ever going to hit as hard for me as Hans Zimmer's score. When do Scott realizes that Cruz is wearing the uh, Richard Roxburgh mask and you get the slow motion of crew running, Cruz running out, tears it off. And you get this big coral thing. And then it immediately cuts to Zimmer reworking the limp biscuit. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> like, I mean, my God, I'm sorry. I just, I don't know how you don't fucking fly out of your seat on that. And I get it. I'm not judging people who don't like that movie, but I'm saying, and like I was saying with kingdom of the crystal skull, if you think Mission Impossible 2 is the worst Mission Impossible 2 movie or the worst Mission Impossible movie, obviously it's neither the worst or best Mission <laughs> Impossible 2 movie. I'd look, like, that's fine. But this is still a John a a $150 million budgeted John Woo movie. The craft on display in this movie, like if you are looking at a Steven Spielberg movie or a John Woo movie and your response is those movies are bad, man, I don't fucking know what to tell you. You might not like them, but they're not bad. Like just sit back and enjoy the fucking craft on display here. Watch a master do what a master fucking does with a Hollywood budget. Like, right. Yeah. And so I, I, I want to just go in to say, 
I love Evil Cruise. I love the mountain climbing. And this is my big question for you, Mike, as someone who is more worldly. Uh, it, were, were Indian blockbusters like incredibly influenced by this or was this like it? Because it feels very like that that sort of like insane homoerotic uh, vanity is like, is this the proto of that? Or was, because, you know, it's such an interesting, it's an Eastern director coming to make a Western, but well, I he mean, that never shot like, no, you know, no one's as pretty as Tom Cruise. So he's finally like, he's shooting like the prettiest man imaginable. Um, just, well, I mean, I would argue like, that, I would argue that Chow Yun-Fat is as pretty as, he, as Tom Cruise. He, but not with the long hair. He did, I mean, yeah, no, I the mean, mountain climbing scene, he turns around and opens himself to the camera. I mean, he's like letting the camera. I would, I would say, go back, go back, go back and watch what Wu does to Van Damme in Hard Target and how pretty he makes Van Damme look. Chance Chance is like kind of a a, a drifter. He's a bum. So there's a little bit, look, don't argue with me. Cruz is the prettiest. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. Uh, What I'm, what I'm, I'm I'm not arguing with you. What I'm saying is shooting Tom Cruise at like his peak, uh, prettiness with this long hair. He looks like a beautiful woman. <laughs> you just, you just go with me on that. Yeah, so, yeah, no. Like he's I, doing it, but was that was that the influence? Is this the influence of that? Or is, that's what I'm saying. I'm not arguing with you. I'm saying that yeah. this has been Wu building up to this his entire career, and it peaks with Cruz because yes. he he's never had like you said, and so yes, and and I think. I mean, again, I my my knowledge of of Bollywood and Indian cinema pre two thousand and four is not great. So, sure. but but I know Wu this style that Wu created revolutionized world cinema, and so yeah, yes, that, like it's yes, such a through line to it. Just even him just tossing the glasses. Yep, the screen, yep. Just, that feels like what the predominant style was then for the next twenty years. Yeah, and this That's is. Cool. This is why it weirds me out when people are like, oh, this movie sucks because I'm just like, he literally throws the glasses at the camera and they blow. This is one of those times where like, you know, Liam, like I'm like the script watcher one on this. I'm like, fucking stop being a script watcher on this and just like go with the craft on this because he fucking throws his glasses at the camera and they blow up into the logo. I'm sorry. Like nobody's fucking fucking James, like, I know I just said I liked Isle of Dead. James Mangold isn't doing that. Fucking, <laughs> uh, you know, Taika Waititi is not doing that. Like, whatever fucking Marvel director you want to name uh, isn't no, J- James doing James Cameron that. doing that shit, you know? That, like, yeah, nobody, like, yeah. this is this is a master and a genius and a mad genius at the top of his game with all the resources in the world. And I fucking love it. Like, I, I, I would argue when we get later down that i think there are movies that i quote unquote objectively think in the series are better but if you lay the entire mission impossible series down in front of me and say you gotta watch you're only gonna get to watch one i'm fucking picking mission impossible two every goddamn time yeah i think uh, we didn't mention yeah sorry sorry. you go go. what we didn't mention in the first movie uh the part of the iconography of it that for the very beginning uh be it the the helicopter scene, or of course the uh, infiltrating the CIA with you know the the, the upside down or the uh, roof sus- ceiling cons- suspension contraption, so that stuff is there from the very, very beginning in this series, and then here it's a little bit a twist on that. It's you know you mentioned the uh, mountain climbing scene, you know like like just that was a that was like also the impetus of Tom Cruise like I'm going to die for cinema because that was really him. 
We left fucking mountain with no rope. <laughs> well, and that's I mean, yeah. That's Stephen though. That's also like this is like this is where like uh, you know like Ben Stiller like kind of well, making but, fun of Cruz became a thing. You know, that's the yeah. thing. This is this is also the one that's responsible for the greatest MTV Movie Awards skit of all time, which is Ben Stiller being Tom Cruise's stunt double. <laughs> which, if people haven't seen it, it's on YouTube. You need to watch it. It's fucking tremendous. Um, but this is really the first movie. This is the thing that people don't give it enough credit for this is really the first movie where tom cruise went i'm going to die for cinema i because yeah he does he's on the train in the first one but this is the one where he's literally in utah fucking climbing up that mountain free free climbing this is the one and i remember when this came out like entertainment weekly and premiere they had all these articles about Tom Cruise is really climbing that he learned martial arts so that he could have the fights. He, he, you know, it's him on the motorcycle. This is the birth of the Tom Cruise that we say we love so much. And yet people are like, ah, but this movie's shitty. It's like, yeah, well, no, again, it's to Americans. It, 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 the whole, I think the homoeroticism is what makes people uncomfortable now and they don't say it, but I, I can tell. And I, I think I think that's one of those under vibes, you know, because Joe Gray Scott, he's a weird presence. And then he's got like this asexual boyfriend in it with Richard <laughs> Roxborough. And there there's a which is a menace. I like the menacing relationship with them and I like all that stuff. But I think but I it's think also that undercurrent makes you know people uncomfortable and they don't say it and they're just like, Oh, this sucks. Yeah, it's this fascinating relationship, right? Because Richard Roxburgh is obviously obsessed with Dew Gray Scott. But Dugray Scott is obsessed with with Tom Cruise. Like he's obsessed with Ethan. You know, I mean, I love I love the way Dugray Scott, the, the delivery is like the worst part of playing you was grinning like an idiot every five <laughs> seconds. You know, like like it is it is a very woo thing. It is there is like Tandaway Newton is almost irrelevant to this movie, but she's not because she's Tandaway Newton. And this is actually also, in my opinion, one of the last times it felt like Tom Cruise actually knew how to talk to a woman because they have insane chemistry yeah. in this movie. I think I, I the, the whole fucking car flirtation scene is just mm, that's chef's kiss for me. But uh, also a similar scene to that, which see, which you see in the later Indian stuff like that, using this whole like uh, it's it's a, it's a Actually, there's two dance sequences, sequences as it were, in this film that featured uh, Tendiway. And it's like, yeah, all that is from, is a part of that. And then it builds off of that into Indian stuff, like the soul, the rhythm, and the, and the music. Like, like, it must as well be a, a dance number, but it's not. It's an action scene, or it's a, it's a infiltration scene in, the, in one regard. It's, it's all there. And it just, and you know, and I, actually, I heard um, recently that um, John Woo's upcoming film is like, going to be like, no, with no dialogue. And he mentions yeah, that. Um, Silent he, Night. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Shout out to uh, shout out to Bill Zaberry. He did a great interview with John Woo recently, and he has a great some great um insight to that. You know, and John Woo kind of says, you know, I, I've always wanted to do musicals, but like it, he's kind of doing it in this movie. Like the 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 staging and the and the, and the, the rhythm, it's all there. You know, it, it, you, just, you don't you, you don't really grasp it unless you kind of look back at it. Oh my god! Like this is a this is like a, this is a dance, like the, the car. Or the the actual dance, the, the the salsa, or even the end, and that, this is going back to the uh, the iconic part, the the iconography, the motorcycle stuff, the, the the end battle, which is cool because um it's not, it doesn't have the same scale or scope as the things that even either the first film or the more recent later ones, 
where you know he's on top of the the giant building or, he, or he's doing the train or like like it's a relatively small scale thing but it feels so like you know i'm gonna run head first it, we're gonna play chicken with motorcycles head first and like the collision like it, it's it's a small that's very much like kids playing with their action figures yeah and yeah and that's there's certain parts of that that i that's kind of what i still love about the fast movies is that they still have some of that ridiculousness um, and a lot of a lot of the rest of our action cinema has seemingly outgrown the tactical fun stuff that Wu does, you know, where it's yeah. just sort of like, well, why is he spinning like this on the ground? And it's like, because it looks cool. Like, yeah. I don't, I, I don't, not everything needs to be tactical risk. This, this is, annoys me after a while. This is actually perfect that you brought up the fast movies, because to me, if the rest of the Mission Impossible movies had gone the way of Mission Impossible 2, I, I don't know that I would love, I, I, I think that would have been a mistake, but I think, and that's to me where some of my criticisms of the fast movies come in is they, they've continually gone bigger and bigger. They need, they need a, they need a ghost protocol. Fast needs a ghost protocol. Um, but because they didn't go that direction, this is such a unicorn in the series of, and, and I love yeah. that you said that Liam. I mean, it's, this is rule of cool. The movie right why is he doing this because it looks fucking cool yeah. like why does he like like even when he's when he's like breaking into the island and there's that first one he takes the guy out and he does that ridiculous flip over onto the guy and brings the leg drop down on him it's like that is the least efficient way to take that guy out but who gives a shit because it looks fucking cool like i miss the days when we were okay with movies doing shit just because it looked cool and yeah. uh and that's that's what mission impossible 2 is to me is it's cool as fuck yeah. it's cool you get a shout shout out to the to the blade on a cable shot that he uh, it fucking insanely oh. let someone drive a knife right towards his eyeball so somebody was talking about this that like mission impossible 3 was when he first did like the deadly stunts and again if you have the blu-ray or the dvd of mi2 they built an entire rig so that that knife could come a half an inch away from his eye and stop without him, like, you know, and, and Cruz is under it. It's not a stunt man. It's Cruz. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Like, like that's one of the most amazing. I remember watching that in 2000 when I got the Blu-ray and I was watching or the DVD and I was watching all the special features. And I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me with this. And you can even see as he blinks, his lashes hit the fucking yeah. tip of the blade. Like, yeah, it's no, that, that speaks to the that thing I'm talking about the uh, this um relative small scale intimacy of this danger like uh, again like like this, uh, uh, that and the the motorcycle sequence I, that's my favorite my favorite part of the movie is um because it's not grandiose and like uh, he's not drive well I mean he's on a mountaintop but like uh when he does like the side saddle thing on the motorcycle he has both feet on the ground and then to, to, to dodge the bullets then he goes back in the motorcycle and like points using the rearview mirror. Does the the John Woo guns akimbo point to back towards him to fire with the mirror? Like it's a it's not a big it's not a big scene, but it's so distinct and like that's an amazing action sequence. Like I've never seen anything like that in a movie where using like that in in a, in a dry car ch or vehicle chase that goes uses this like the, the John Woo gunplay, but it's like not tactical. It's technical. It's like it's a very technical thing he's doing because the, again, the, and the camera itself is like. The camera can capture him looking in the mirror with the gun behind him to the target. Like that's a that's a pretty complicated shot, but like it, it's 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 beautiful. It's amazing. 
Well, and that's here's the thing, you know, going forward to Fallout, we all think of Tom Cruise hanging off a plane or jumping a motorcycle. But the reality is, if Tom Cruise dies on a movie set, it's going to be because a rig in which a knife goes to his eye fails and he gets stabbed in the face. Like Fallout's a perfect example, right? Of all the things Tom Cruise has done, jumping from one building to another should be pretty fucking basic for him. And he fucking broke his leg and shut down production for like three months on what's a basic stunt. Like he's not going to die on the cool shit. He's going to die on something stupid. He's going to wreck a motorcycle. And yeah. Um, all right uh enough about overall i think we i think mike obviously loves it the most i really enjoyed it on the rewatch i did feel like the the second act was definitely slower than the the beginning i I, and i love evil cruise i mean getting evil cruise because we you know he barely plays any villains in his career so to see him uh you know when he's got the mask on being being a a dickhead is, is fantastic (laughs) <laughs> yeah and and i promise for people listening i will not talk i will not talk as much for the rest of the movies but i had no, but I, I also do want to say the mix-up what you said about roxborough that moment is such a big pop when he when he looks down and sees the the you know the bloody pinky yeah uh, it, it's one of the best uses of the masks and all and, 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 and the choir that dun 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 yeah yeah i mean it's just it's such a pop this movie is filled with pops and that's yeah. So I will not talk as much for the rest of them, but I had to defend my, I had to defend my woo and I had to defend my MIT. Well, I, I brought up the cucking in the first one and this one is all about cucking. It's it, all it, about it's cucking. So it's 100% cucking. cucking. And it's like, and he goes to do eyes wide shut not long after this and <laughs> disappears for a few years to, to make the cucking odyssey movie like homer's cucking <laughs> it's like, there's such a strange thing going on that i can't i i just love i love digging into this stuff because yeah again, it's, he it's is not, fascinating. He's not he's not a passive uh partner on these projects you know he is actively developing them as a main producer star with the biggest movie star in the world at this point. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, the first mission impossible was the first cruise Wagner production. Like that was his first production. Like that was the start of modern Tom Cruise as we know him. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I agree with you. The cucking well, 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 is hilarious. So then mission impossible. Three. Wait, 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 one more thing. One more thing uh, with the whole cooking in the homoeroticism. My favorite line for more than maybe the, all of the series is when Doug Ray Scott says, this is what you call getting a gun off. It's a very like charged fucking, here's my gun into you yeah. as you laying down at my mercy. <laughs> oh, and the, the one when when he cuts Richard Roxburgh's tip of his finger off because he said she wasn't exactly gagging for it. And Doug Ray Scott goes, yes, but I am gagging for it. Like, <laughs> I mean, my God, like, ah, uh, it's just <laughs> like, I'm sorry. You're just not. You're being entirely too literal. If so don't you... be so suburban. Yeah. 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 Just, yeah. <laughs> All right. MI3. Well, uh, MI3 opens with a cucking scene. You're sitting there uh, strapped to a chair. Oh, and oh, a guy's got a gun to your wife's head. And he's like, I'm going to stick stick this gun in her mouth. It's like, <laughs> it's just like, ah, it's all jumping out to me um, on, on this rewatch. But I mean, this one is definitely one that I've noticed people uh it's it's fallen in the in the rankings and 
in the reevaluation. And and I think uh, in in some fair criticisms, you know, it's definitely the most TV looking in in some bad ways. But I'd also kind of give that a plus in good ways of it's got a TV t- style script that like every ten minutes there's another cliffhanger payoff. It never you never really catch your breath. Like even when you think you've got one mission done, oh my God, you know, he's walking into the next place and, and, and it never, ever stops. And I think that's, you could kind of fairly say that's more of um, like, maybe that's JJ's like insecurity because that's like what he does on all his movies. But I love fast pacing as long as it's like, as is, I, I don't like flop sweat pacing, but I like fast pacing. And I could see some people say, no, no, JJ's flop sweat. But for me, I always feel like it's, it's under control, fast pacing that's constantly trying to entertain you. And so I know he's become kind of like the de facto pencil neck geek to dunk on. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, Rise of Skywalker, that's fair. But, uh, you know, th- that was a job that he took, like it was a salvage job. And uh, you know, arguably, he just shouldn't do the sequels to any of these franchise installments he does because his first one, like, Star Trek, the first Star Trek, I love that one. I thought it was great. Again, great casting, uh, really sets the tone up, sets the world. Into Darkness is not as bad. It's like what Mike's saying. It's still incredibly competent made blockbuster with that's really exciting and has all these good moments. But you're just kind of like, you guys, there's no reason why we had to do Khan here, especially a white dude playing Khan, like bad luck. Uh, it doesn't mean anything to the characters. If this were, if he were just the normal character that you said at the beginning, this movie would be way better. Um, and in, you know, Rise of Skywalker, as we said, it's actually fairly competently made action blockbuster. It's just the story ideas, the reheated things. It's got the same problems as Into Darkness writ large because you're supposed to end a fucking nine series movie with like three months of prep. Um, so anyway, I, I do think that there's um, there's some positives to this that uh, I still really enjoy. I think it has great personal stakes. And I think um, the relationships that they set up and, and that kind of uh, the team, um, the team, uh, you know, interplay in everybody. And, and I, I would I would love to have some of the, like Maggie Q and, and Lawrence Fishburne I think we're awesome and, and could have come back, but you know, it's an evolving, it's an evolve. I do like that. It is also sort of an evolving, um, you know, uh, roster on these movies. They don't never seem to be too worried about like, Oh my God, we got to bring back this person. We got to bring back that person. Sometimes it can be frustrating, but I think it's healthy. This is the right. one where I would definitely say, uh, cause I'll, I'll let you finish, but I just, just going to say, this is the one where I definitely feel like the formula was established in terms of we've got the different teams we're swapping them out we've got different actors we're swapping them out like that coalesces in this movie yeah yeah and no. uh, oh yeah yeah go up go up fires oh sorry well no well, i was gonna say um to back to mike's point about um the different well about, about things that, that's being established here in three of course you mentioned jj abrams um like first of all like i mentioned like the the uh, atmosphere of pop culture at the time. The first one is coming off the Brady Bunch movie. I'm, I'm, I'm half joking. The MI2 is kind of coming off in that fast era where it began in, in these uh, hyper sensation stuff, uh, the, the hyperized, you know, Schumacher Batman stuff, you know, like that era of like heightened blockbuster. And then now MI3, it was 2006, I believe, or 2000, I, I don't remember the exact date, but like, six, it, yeah. 
the yeah. prime. And, ha and having JJ Abrams, JJ Abrams, and his domination of a TV and the the mystery box, ooh, you know that that, that whole thing. So then, tapping into that because the whole movie is like you don't they don't ever say what's what's going on. It's like purposely obtuse. Um, but so it's that part where the Mission Impossible is still of its errors, and, but like evolving, as you were mentioning. But also, this is where you know you kind of see the, and maybe part of the maybe one of the last great examples of the greatness of having Mission Impossible be directed by different directors and having their own distinct flavor and style. You know, there's there's the De Palma's the suspense one, and then there's the John Woo crazy one. Now this is the uh, JJ mystery box one. That's like you know that's taught in mystery and then ser serious things happening. You know, it starts off like you know fucking like a fucking snuff film, <laughs> but but uh, but it all works. And I think that I think maybe that, as we'll talk about later on, um, they've they they shied away from to you know for good for good or ill. But I like that. I'd say I'd least, say for good. I, I'm I'm yeah. of the, I'm of the pro McHugh. Uh, yeah. Ones, but and at this point, who isn't? You know, at this point, who isn't? Yeah. But like, I did like that at, at the time. They had this distinct series where it was like we're gonna we kind of know going in it's gonna be different. Like, but like it's still the core of well, at this point, Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible now, or even I guess that too, because like that the whole first one was like we gotta kill everybody off for Tom Cruise, but it works. <laughs> that was like a. Yeah, I I really enjoyed that. I, would, I wish we had that again. Well, we kind of do with the Marvel stuff, but even then, they kind of discard it. I, I, I will get. I, I'm glad that the, it is where it is. I'll explain yeah. when we go. But the, the, for for three lore, like Joe Carnahan was going to direct this uh, mm. for a while. Mike, do you remember any of those stories? Oh yeah, absolutely. Carnahan coming off a of narc. Uh, it it was the same. It was the same thing. It was it was. Cruz trying to do a different director. Um, I mean, I'm not sure I want to see Ethan Hunt calling people cunts, which is what <laughs> would have happened if Carnahan had directed it. But well, but it the was big, set in like Africa too. So yeah, but, but the biggest he... problem was this is when Cruz went bananas, right? Mm -hmm. And so Carnahan's out and he does the fucking Oprah thing and all of that sort but of that, stuff. That was on the press tour for that. it was on the press tour, but I mean, I think it's pretty fair to say that shit went. You know, probably. A I, little I don't weird. think him being going bananas has to do with Carnahan. I think it has to do with Carnahan. Like, what, was well, this uh, yeah, like yeah, no, I agree. I it, it has to do it. I mean, oh, but was this um pre or post? <laughs> like Carnahan should have just shut up and done the. Dope. I've I've I'm listened sure to a lot. Admit that now. I've <laughs> listened to a lot of Carnahan interviews. It had to do as much with Carnahan as uh yeah yeah. yeah. Oh, but also, Tom Cruise like, wants to do it that way. Just fucking do it. You can do yeah. your movies afterwards because this movie is going to make fucking a billion dollars worldwide. Yeah. That's to play oh, the game. Wait, was, was this also like a post Kim and Divorce? I don't remember. Or pre Kim and Divorce. Yeah, it was post. Yeah. Because I, I, yeah, I think there is a point where, to be made, where we're like, um, the, 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 the Cruise brand was a little like uh, off at this era. So, yeah, I guess you kind of. Well, yeah. I mean, it, think about it. It's nine years since the last Mission Possible. Um, like we said, he disappeared to make the cucking odyssey uh you know it was, it was a little all over the place so yeah. um yeah but i do remember seeing this in the theater and like loving it and being like he's back and and I, I one thing i think it does really get right and it was sort of the beginning of this uh second half of cruise's career is that the movie itself is obsessed with tom cruise and his career <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it gives you all these like little callback shots to his other movies where he's like on a motorcycle uh, where he's doing the running and it's like we're going to show you he's really running through this long race so it, it had 
that sort of like uh, a little bit like we're talking about with Bay, where he starts to be like, I'm going to do the bad boys two shot again and Transformers and kind of those little touches where you're getting to the second half of someone's career. And there's a little bit of like, hey, you know what I do. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of that, a little bit of this. But I do think I remember watching behind the scenes on it. And there's the big stunt that he does where he he does the fulcrum jump in Shanghai onto that rooftop. But it was not. Uh, a real rooftop that was on a soundstage. And I think in the behind the scenes, you can even see Cruz like, <laughs> he's not really feeling it. <laughs> like, like, the, the danger is not enough. Uh, it's just him jumping off in the soundstage onto the soundstage rooftop. They still did it for real, but that that gives you the jump to Ghost Protocol. This, this actually also, not to bring it back to Mission Impossible 2, but it also reminds me of one of my favorite do gray scott lines in the movie which is when he's like hunt inevitably going to do some ridiculously daring drop through the thing and it's like again another statement just about tom cruise's career right uh here's my thing on mi3 this is my lowest ranked movie in the series again i need to reiterate to people this is a four-star movie for me we are not talking about this is not a one-star movie. This is a four-star movie. It's just everything else is better. But the biggest problem I have is having been an old, I watched Alias every week and it's a fucking Alias episode. And I remember seeing it in the theater being like, this is a fucking, like Alias started every episode with a cold open exactly like MI3 starts. Uh, and I was like, it's a fucking alias episode. And Jennifer Garner's hotter than Tom Cruise, as hot as Tom Cruise is. But that being said, I have gone back and I have rewatched it. And uh, I mean, it, Michelle Monaghan is tremendous in it. Carrie oh, Russell's indeed. tremendous in it. Like Carrie Russell is just heartbreaking in it. It's a it's a good fucking movie. Uh, it's not to me. It's not the craziness of the first one. And it's not the impeccable technical accomplishments that we're going to get to when we get to the second ones, but it's still a good fucking movie. And the plot is, and again, there's no villain in these movies. That's as good as I was waiting Seymour for Hoffman. someone to mention the best part of the movie. <laughs> the, 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 the scene when they've got him on the plane and he's just like, Oh God, who are you? What's your name? Because I'm going to kill your family. I'm going to kill everyone you ever like. And, and like, it's not, it's menacing because he's so put out and annoyed by it. Like it's such a brilliant performance. Uh, the, the kind that only Philip Seymour Hoffman could do, you know? I, and so it's like, again, it's, we need to start really considering this series one of the all-time greats. I, and then I, I people do. I mean, I don't think that's in dispute. But when I'm saying this is my least favorite of the series, and I'm still fucking glowing over Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance in this movie, that tells you the kind of quality we're dealing with on yeah, this like series. Just having like a god tier act like that, like like the part where he's Philip Seymour Hoffman is playing Tom Cruise, playing yes. Seymour Hoffman, and it works. You can tell. That that is that is like some, I don't know, like best of all time acting right there. Like, how did he fucking do that? You know, like I love I love the the mask scene in this with the where he's becoming and the, and then yeah, him as Cruz and it's so good. It's so good. That whole scene is so tense. Yeah, 
but but also like I was saying, like you know, this is the this is a movie where like um, I, I caught shit for this about the later movies, which we get into, where it's like the plot does not matter at all, like to the point where it's like explicit, like nobody the the rabbit's foot, the MacGuffin of the film, no one ever says what the fuck is going on, but like you do not care because everything else is, is yeah, so, the, like, all fire. The it's rabbit's foot is Owen Davian. Like, that's the rabbit's foot. That's what we actually give a shit about is Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like, you, you, you're you, using the rabbit's foot to give us the showdown between Cruz and, and Philip Seymour Hoffman. And uh, the the other thing is, is just for me, yeah, it, the ending is a little bit, it's very alias. And that was the problem that I had with it. But, yeah, you know, again, time gives us interesting perspectives because... I also now realize what a special show Alias was. I mean, there's very few TV shows that have ever been like Alias. And so I'm kind of like, well, you know, this came between like season four and five of Alias. And it's like, well, who the fuck cares? It's I can watch this. But I haven't seen a show like Alias in 20 goddamn years. So, you know, MI3 feels more special because it, it, it does feel kind of like what you were saying, Liam, about how MI2 is such a 2000s time capsule. MI3 is exactly the same, right? It's that time when we, when network television was at its peak, when we started getting shows like Alias, like even one-off ones like UC Undercover that had, that were fucking brilliant and Michael Bay and, and McGee produced them and they had $2 million budgets for every episode and they lasted six episodes. You know, like this was, this movie came out peak network television and me being the pro network television guy, I can't not have an affinity for MI3 being peak network television on the big screen. Yeah. I, and that goes with the, well, when people were talking about JJ's directing and it's like, well, if you haven't seen the lost pilot, I get if you don't want to watch the whole show, but it, it's one of the best pilots ever made. And yeah, that was, that was a phenomenon for a reason. Like the, yeah. people talk shit about all that stuff now, but like that was, it changed the game. It was big deal. The only thing I'm going to push back on you guys on with this in, I understand he's a giant piece of shit, but you don't get to say MI3 is great because JJ brings TV sensibilities to it and then shit on Joss Whedon for what he did with the <laughs> Avengers. No, I, I I don't shit on Joss Whedon in, in the Avengers. Vice did. I, I, I do. I do. Yeah, no, yeah. You're, you're, you're right. No, you're right. No, you're right. I, I think the look of it is, is uh, pretty dated, but I think the script is fantastic. That's I always I would agree with his, that. I always I, defend his script. That was that was saying, oh the Marvel style. I'm like it's fucking Deadpool is the one that's ruined the Marvel. Yeah, style. it's it's <laughs> that was directed advice really okay. more than anything. But you can't you can't sing the praises of J.J. Abrams and shit on Joss Whedon oh, as well, a as a director yeah. as a person. I do think J.J.'s visuals are probably better than Joss's, yeah. but I'm, and it's like like to your point about it being TV, like you know as much as people love Buffy, like that's still like. That wasn't the same, I don't know, level or or stratosphere as what JJ was doing, and you know, and I think I think it's still it's not a criticism per se of Whedon. It's like that's 
it's different levels of stuff, you know, like well, and like, and frankly, the best Buffy episodes and the best Angel episodes weren't directed by Joss. Yeah. So yeah. you know, I mean, I I get it. My but I'm just making. I, I like here. Serenity, so you can. You, <laughs> I, I thought that movie was good. So Serenity's, yeah. Serenity's beautiful. Like, dude, I have so many Serenity stories. That's you know how I talk about the Paul Walker meeting experience, meeting Summer Glau at a private screening of Serenity. Up there with Paul Walker, like oh, fantastic, yeah, no, yeah, I, I, and and on top of that, she's Cameron in Sarah Connor Chronicles. Like my God, she's just perfect. She's my perfect yeah, woman. No, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 you know, and I, I always talk about like I felt like those guys in that that era was like kind of this change from the 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 kind of vi- like uh, music video uh commercial sort of a- auteur driven director hollywood which was like the michael bay and mcgee and ratner and kind of the big swing and dick attitude to then sort of uh the the, the tv guys kind of took control of everything and it was it, it felt like they, they were more the nice guys uh, yeah. and you hear all this stuff about obviously whedon and then uh jj wasn't involved in the lost uh that expose that came out a few weeks ago but it was definitely shocking to hear that the loss was like this toxic yeah. environment yeah. and that everyone had a, a much worse time, especially, um, you know, the, the minority actors involved. Yeah. It's not surprising, but at no. the same time, I kind of like, from my point of view, I was like, oh, those are the people that I want to work with. They seem like they're all the nice guys. And then yeah, no, like, yeah, oh, it's, 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 it's 100% the same thing that happened on the CW tangent, but same thing that happened on the CW shows. You know, by all accounts, Greg Berlanti is a very nice human being. Everybody that Greg Berlanti hired to direct and produce those shows is apparently a giant piece of shit. And so it's kind of one of those things where it's like, yeah, the TV, but it, this is tying it back to Mission Impossible. This is what's so fascinating about Mission Impossible is how many like historical tangents are we going on talking about these movies because the series has existed for so long and it's been such a emblematic representation of the various stages of the last 20 years of filmmaking um which means we should move on to ghost pros yes so ghost protocol a lot of people say is the best one and i've seen that pick up steam and as as a thing and i understand for good reason uh it's it's got uh you know brad bird is uh brings his sort of uh you know incredibly visual sensibility to it there's a great sense of fun great sense of design in the shots uh it definitely opens it up from mi3 feel having that tv feel to now we're, we're into big screen territory um it has uh speaking of lost my boy josh holloway who i still feel like what happened this guy should have been a movie star it's 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 very frustrating and those things like those are the guys that felt like would have gotten like three movies uh you know a decade earlier but i I also do think it was somewhat of his own he he was he's sort of a chiller guy then he didn't really want to run the rat race but um his his role in it though still kind of has some issues to me on the movie um because there is a bit of a studio committee vibe to this for me on the rewatch. Like I do have some story issues with this that I generally don't have on any of the uh, Mission Impossible movies. Um, so without going into the negatives first, I guess I'd, I'd uh, 
I'd start uh, on the positives um, of that. You know, it, it feels like everything really does click into to place uh, with the formula. You've got uh, Simon Pegg, who we didn't talk about in part three. You know, he, he's got kind of a, a couple of great scenes. And in this one, he starts kind of becoming uh, a co-star with Cruz. Um, it's like the 15th time that he's been disavowed and burned, but uh, this time it's called Ghost Protocol. It, here um just, yeah, I do a disclaimer. sorry i just did a disclaimer but um just for the sake of the show unfortunately i didn't get a chance to um see ghost protocol um it's, it's the, it remains the one i have not watched the admission of popular films you've never so, seen ghost protocol yeah yeah i know I, unfortunately I just, <laughs> stuff got in the way this 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 past lifetime uh <laughs> but um but i have seen enough of clips and 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 behind the scenes stuff that it, it still my thesis quote unquote still holds insofar as these the Mission Impossible movies evolving to the times of when they were being created. Um, so even though this is 2011, this is before a year before the Avengers. Um, it's still, you know, uh, we still know know of Jim Renner and, and and Hawkeye, and uh, and all that stuff. And like um and and so uh, what you mentioned before about the uh, committee part of it, it does seem like it's mm, tapping into that that when that proto Marvel era stuff, MCU era stuff of like uh they're getting assembling these movies together to make this one these teams of superheroes slash movie producers, whatever. So it does feel, now this one does feel part of that era as well, where you're trying to assemble, like, and I guess uh, from what I understand, that's part of the uh, the background is that um this was supposed to be Tom Cruise relinquishing the the the, the baton. But right, like, which is just kind of sad when you watch it now in, uh, in <laughs> hindsight. It's like, I want to name and shame whoever's idea that was. I, sometimes these executives just get protected. Like yeah. someone tell me whose fucking bright idea it was to hand it off from Tom Cruise to Jeremy Renner. Who yeah, so I, some, somehow they thought Jeremy that Jeremy Renner the... fan, but in the scenes together, it's like, why? Why would you want to trade this for this? I don't understand. Yeah, somehow I guess somebody got to head like a like the same way the MCU is going to be the the main leader or the what sells the the, the, the property. They're thinking the MI properties, but no, it's, it's Cruise. Cruise is selling this shit all the way. You, you can't you can't disavow them with that. So yeah, I definitely see that part. And like you mentioned, the, the the scope and scale, the international, like the 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 big blockbuster feel, what we now think of as modern blockbusters, got to be taken into place. Even even of its time, still like you know, uh, Transformers that we've been talking about for for decades now, like uh, doing that thing. Like this, this is the same year as that. Oh, Dark of the Moon, twenty eleven, and of course this gigantic Chicago battle. You know, just the, just the the scope and scale of Bay doing that, and so you see Mission Impossible doing do its own spin on that. Type of scale with the Burj Khalifa, so yeah, it did. Yeah, it did, it, it's. I would really appreciate that. And again, with Brad Bird, going from I think it was this is from animation. This is his first live action film, right? Yeah, I think it was his first. Yeah. Insane. So, yeah, and so yeah, same thing. It was like um getting that specific director to accomplish this specific feat. In this case, the visual of Tom Cruise doing shit on the building. You know, like that. That also this and I, I really again once again like that makes. That helps make these moves for me again. Even though I haven't seen the specific one, I just knowing what it's built and what it's what it's what's it, what incorporates in it is like that. It totally works. Uh, I time. just say it's definitely worth a watch. It's it's definitely uh, one of the best. Uh, like 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 Mike said, there's no bad Mission Impossible movies. Yeah. I just feel like this one's become elevated. And uh, when I rewatched it again, I even when I first watched it in the theater. There's a there's a mask reveal in it that continues to not make sense to me, and maybe Mike could could clarify it to me. But why does the bad guy dress up like the other bad guy? 
I got nothing. <laughs> it, it, it's, that's here's so here's my thing on Ghost Protocol. I have a lot of affinity for Ghost Protocol. Uh, I remember seeing it when I was dating Kelsey and she lived in Vegas. I went down there to visit her. We saw it in the IMAX in Vegas. Like, like Ghost Protocol is a movie that I have a lot of affinity for. But if I'm being yeah. objective, here's the thing. There are two things that Ghost Protocol does that made it the success that it was. Number one has nothing to do with the movie. It was Paramount and Cruz blasting that picture of him at the top of the Burj Khalifa in the press tour leading up to the movie. That was brilliant, right? That was absolutely brilliant. And then secondly, and this is Brad Bird, opening with Cruz in the prison, throwing the rock and it's bouncing and just, you know, we always talk, Liam, about hooking actors up. This was the, hey, crazy guy who made Mission Impossible 3 not the big success that it should be. This is, reminder, this is the guy from Days of Thunder and Top Gun. Like, you remember, you like Tom Cruise, right? And you know what? The movie absolutely fucking nails that. You watch the first 20 minutes of that movie, and you're like, God damn it, you're right. I do fucking love Tom Cruise. Like, in, in as you watch the movie, it continually gets less interesting, especially once you get past the Burj Khalifa part. But there's another narrative thing that I think is brilliant, which is them deciding that all of the high-tech MI shit fucking breaks continuously, which adds an extra nice extra layer of tension to it. So for me, Ghost Protocol is one of those things where it's like at the time, I thought it was absolutely amazing. I thought it was a stunning movie, one of the best blockbusters I've ever seen in my life. I think it's less... I still think it's great and I love it, but I still think it's less because it is one of those movies that to me feels like it was a movie made by the context in which it was made. As we've talked about Tom Cruise, this is his comeback after the fucking Katie Holmes jumping up and down. This is that we're going to hand it over to Jeremy Renner. And then we're going to realize halfway through filming that we can't give a Tom Cruise movie over to Jeremy Renner, especially because the born legacy just ate shit at the box office. So we but even like what a terrible way to try to set Renner up. Like the character from the beginning is kind of not hooked up and he's kind of like consistently kind of whips out on stuff. And it's like, why would well, I want? And he's, he's great for Renner as that, especially for people like me that love him because I, I thought I'm going to sing the praises of Jeremy Renner really quick, but as I you thought, should. I'm just saying that yeah. if they wanted it to be a handoff movie. I would have written him a little differently. He was such that. a giant, wonderful, brilliant piece of shit in SWAT. And that's really, you know, and so you're putting this giant, wonderful, edgy piece of shit and you're going to put him in a suit and you're going to make him you're going to make him a fucking government suit. And you're like, no, the way you do it is if you want Renner to take it over, you make him like the fucking douchebag Ethan Hunt. Right. Like, and he has to like learn to grow a fucking conscience because he's inspired by Ethan. Like you don't, yeah, you don't make him fucking suit boy government, you know, Mike Scott fucking government worker 
like <laughs> replacement. Like that, that's what I'm saying. It was just it was it was a it wasn't a fair shake to begin I, with. If you wanted to, and then they make him nervous about doing everything, and he's like stretching, which is funny, but it's like this I is don't know. it just this is the work. worst confession I'm gonna make on this podcast. I promise. Part of the reason I have the Jedi code on this side of my arm is because Jeremy Renner in SWAT has Gamble has his name on this side of his arm during the movie. So like I I am very much a Jeremy Renner fan. <laughs> and and so yeah, but but that's the thing. He's but a you're right. He's got the face of a grunt. It's why he's great in 28 weeks later too. Yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's a fucking a grunt. Yeah, he's he fucking, is not What's the fucking his famous movie, the Oscar winner? That's why, yeah, Hurt Locker. That's why he works as Hawkeye because Hawkeye's the guy during all these movies that's kind of like, you know, I mean, fucking uh, Age of Ultron when he's like, I'm going to go out there and fight a giant army of robots and I have a bow and arrow. Like, this is not like your upstanding hero. This is a sarcastic fucking douchebag. And that's where they fucked up on Ghost Protocol because he's- Yeah, I, I think making it be like, you're the pretty boy fucking Ethan Hunt. I'm the I'm the actual grunt soldier yeah. who's out on the front lines, who's dying from your risky gambling behavior. Oh, wow. That's an interesting Jeremy Renner character. But yeah, making him the suit was just- it, it was, Yeah, it was a giant was mistake. Never going to work. But I mean, I think it works for the movie now. But if you sure. were trying to do what they wanted to do, and apparently, like the you know the the uh, the, the 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 lore now is that that Cruz just kept refusing to film the scene. <laughs> but you know the scene is at the end when they're doing you know when he's handing off the mics or, or the phones to, for the next mission. So they kind of do do the scene, which the scene is just, hey, you're part of the team now. You're not the guy. And I just, you know, I'm sorry. I kind of don't believe that lore just because I don't believe that a $200 million budget movie has this thing where somebody can just keep refusing. I, I think they were well into production on that and they realized. I, I, I think there's no scenario where they didn't see those Burj Khalifa dailies and go, oh, right. We need to keep Tom. You know, like, just, like, I mean, honestly, not to be mean, but just the two of them in the scenes together, he's just blowing yeah. Tanner off the screen. Yeah. So it's kind of like, what, what are we doing here? You know who he doesn't blow off the screen, though, is Paula Patton. And it's a very damn shame that she does not, she has not come back. Because yeah, she, I see. I was going to ask you that. So the part I don't have much context for because I haven't seen it again is um the combination of Paula Patton and Maggie Q. Um, can you go into their detail over their, their roles? If Paula, let's just let's stick with Paula Patton for a second. Okay, we already did MI3. Uh, there's another cucking scene. Uh, but this time, <laughs> <laughs> this time Cruz gets to play the bull, which then drives the cuck wild in, in a party scene. <laughs> so she has to seduce uh, this like Indian, uh, I think he's Indian, um, the, you know, million billionaire who's, uh, you know, peacocking to her and she kind of blows it. And so Cruz is like, I'm following a hunch as a cuck. I know what drives a cuck wild. And then he gives her a big kiss. And then the guy's like, oh, I must have her. Uh, so yeah, again. Wait, I know what drives a cuck wild. Yeah. <laughs> Not to be a pig, but you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. Could have, could have had Tom Cruise went with Robin Thicke. Not a great decision. Wait, was there a was there a dating thing happening there? They were dating. Paula Paula Patton used to be married to no. Would, sorry, no. I'm just saying she used to be married to Robin Thicke. Oh, I know. I met Robin yeah. uh, behind the scenes of uh, the Usher music videos that we filmed. Love in this club. I wrote Love in this club, uh, the music <laughs> video, everyone. And so I was on a bus 
with Robin Thicke and uh, Benny Medina, who is, uh, you know, Will Smith's old uh, manager who is like a super producer for Usher. And they were yelling at me to try to like rewrite this uh, plot line to make sure all the cameos could come into the music video. And Thicke was a weird guy. Uh, he, like, I think he was microdosing at the time, like on shrooms. And he was just, you know, he's just, a, he was a bit much is all I would say. This is, this but, is the beauty of this show is, Robin Thicke is so totally canceled. You can actually spew this shit and I don't have to worry about like editing it out because I'm worried that it's going to mess with your career because Robin Thicke talking shit on Robin Thicke is not going to ruin anybody's career. No, and and, and he was nice enough to me. So I'm not going to be like, Oh, fuck that guy. But I just do remember being like, this guy's married to Paula Patton. (laughs) I didn't think he had, didn't think he like, really? It was, it was when uh, she did a, both with Denzel, she did Deja Vu and Two Guns, and like, and almost in the second one in particular, she's like, I gotta show my titties. Like, I got she's, so, like, she's like, so hot in Two Guns, which I, I will have to say, Two Guns underappreciated. <laughs> it's got our boy Wahlberg. Oh, no, two, two Guns is gotta movie. be on our that's gonna be on our commentary list. Just, yeah, 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 no, it's that's just such a perfect. A for E movie. That is a perfect A for E movie. <laughs> that is such a fucking A for E movie. Um, yeah. Well, well so I was saying because, like, you know, like, I guess this is part of uh that we'll see in the later movie of like, well, there was always a hot girl to some degree in the Mission Impossible movies, but like they kind of play different functions, I guess you could say. Uh, but here it's like straight up like no, this is like bombshell, like obvious like bombshell. Uh, to use this by term, honeypot, um, like thing going on, but also not, but but then. There's two of them, I guess. Is that right? Like Maggie Q, you know, like she's a great actress, acting actress in her own right. And like, how how does that how does that play? Like, what, she, like she's more of a like, team member in three. She yeah, yeah, yeah. Out. Maggie Q's in three. She's not in four. So wait. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I so, I so Paula's in four, and Paula, right, right. her character actually gets a, a pretty great arc. You know, because the opening is Josh Holloway dying, and that is her uh, lover. Right, and so then she has to, you know, fighting to get revenge, and and she has some nice moments with. But with you're, Bruce. you're not wrong, Vice, in that uh, four also has uh, the woman who made James Bond kill himself, Leah Sadu. Yeah, so you yeah. do absolutely get you yeah. get the uh, the the battle of the smoking hotties, which yeah, and they and they, they have a great cat fight. Uh, I yeah. Guess call it a real fight i'm uh, again I'm, I'm still a little inherited misogyny but it is a sexy fight between the two ladies <laughs> we're so in like <laughs> i hey, we're we, we were we were supposed want? to have a guest that was hopefully gonna balance out the testosterone of this episode but it also makes me think about the uh I saw the Richard Brody tweet this week uh, about, and I'll only say this on the podcast. I didn't put this out on Twitter about he thinks the Spike Lee old boy remake is better than the original, which is a ridiculous statement, except <laughs> for the fact that the remake has Elizabeth Olsen's titties in it. And we are not giving <laughs> that nearly enough credit. I never know where you're going. That was <laughs> it's, I'm sorry. They're magnificent. She's magnificent. And we are not giving that enough credit for Spike knowing what he had. <laughs> so um, so back, back to Ghost Protocol, I'll wrap it up. The other frustration, and I think Mike touched on it, it has this amazing third act fight with uh john wick's own nemesis uh michael well, how do you say his last name nyquist nyquist yep so but I, I i get frustrated by the ending of it um you know he's it's, a true believer 
but he's on top of this platform and he just decides to commit suicide. It's a big flat blah. He could have thrown the case off the side and then turned and and have Cruz kick him off. And we have the same ending, but it's like, why, why take the moment from the hero? I I don't know. It's a big fat blah. Like the Simon Pegg, Paula Patton, side aspect of that is actually really well done and really interesting. And I do spoiler vice, sorry, but I do love the uh, Ethan saying mission accomplished and hitting the button and it not working, but the, it, it is, it is maybe the biggest letdown in terms of a Ethan versus main bad guy fight of the entire series. I think it's it's a complete blah. It's a complete letdown. I just think the movie can't recover from the Burj Khalifa scene. It just it just can't. Everything else about it is kind of like uh it's not that it's bad. It's just it's it's a letdown. Well, there were rumors at the time and I don't know if they're unfounded that you know the person that he was going to rip the mask off at the end of the Burj Khalifa was going to be Josh Holloway or something like that. And it was like maybe that they they did some type of rewrite because it, it honestly makes no sense that then the guy that Nyquist, I'm going to say the name wrong continually, is pretending to be actually does exist. I thought you actually it said it right. So feel comfortable. Oh. You're good. Okay, I thought he, he dresses up like this guy who you think was just his alias. It reveals that it's the same guy. Then that guy shows up later and you're like, wait a minute. So he just decided he was going to dress up like his buddy for no reason whatsoever so i i do think there's some there's some weird like behind the scenes like writing as we go fixes stuff on that one that i think glare out a little bit more than than the later entries so when people say it's their favorite i i can't get behind that Hmm. um but yeah that overall the dubai is five stars though i mean that that is it, it made me nervous watching on my laptop in bed so. the, the the prison break at the start and the do du- and everything that happens in dubai is as good as mission impossible gets yeah. i mean that's but let's uh let's move on because man we've been talking a while let's uh we can, let's... Go. we can go faster so rogue nation was one that when i saw it absolutely loved it and I think I watched it in the theater and then I watched it when it came out on video. And this would be 2015, I want to say. And I haven't rewatched it since. But I remember when I saw it, I said, hey, that's the best one. And then I didn't watch it again and then watch Fallout. And then I've watched Fallout twice since it came out. And so then just yesterday watching Rogue Nation again, I was like, fuck, that is a great movie. That is a Swiss watch. I honestly... I have like no fucking notes on that one. I think it's like, and one of the reasons why I like it better than Ghost Protocol is because I feel Cruz is back in control. <laughs> and when when you, when you say McQuarrie's are the best, you're kind of saying Cruz's are the best because as we know, they have a very interesting uh, symbiotic relationship uh, where these guys, they've, they've worked together now uh, for almost two decades where McQuarrie's been coming in and kind of doing passes on his scripts on all these other things. I think it started with Valkyrie, uh, that project. Um, so, you know, maybe about 15 years ago. So uh, like McCory's fingerprints are on all of Cruz's projects for the last decade and a half. And what, what I love about uh, Rogue Nation is that it is the mix of all of them. You know, it's got the motorcycles again from two. 
really, really well done. It's got um, that the, the fucking opera house scene is like a Swiss watch, uh, Brian De Palma style visual storytelling kind of perfection. It's setting up all these different people and all the different angles. And, and, and I love how he actually will connect everything in, in similar shots. You know what I mean? So it's not just like, hey, we're shooting this angle today. You kind of understand where everyone is in the space in such a great way. Um, so that that one was really blowing me away. Uh, I loved the um, Ilsa Faust, I think, is one of the better, like, new characters in a later entry franchise. Like, I think she's one of the better action characters of of the decade, I, I might say. Like, I really think re they, they hook Rebecca Ferguson up so much. And you might not even always understand what her motivations are, but you never turn on her. It, just like Ethan. Like, you're always kind of going to give her the benefit of the doubt. She's like a worthy opponent. You know, they always are trying to set up, like, uh, another version of Ethan Hunt. Like, you go back to uh, Mission Impossible 2 with Doug Ray Scott. This is evil Hunt. Um, you know, you've got uh, Crud Up in 3 as kind of uh, another foil for Hunt. There's always these, these different versions. I don't think that anyone's been as perfect as her. She is the perfect foil for him as, you know, the female Hunt who uh, kind of beats him almost every time, uh, saves his life continually over these next two movies. My only real note to stick to our, our piggish uh, issues of these movies is that they should have slept together in Morocco. There's a <laughs> when he shows up to her house, and this is maybe one of the, like, I think Simon Pegg gets a little cutesy in Ghost Protocol. There's a lot of his humor gets a little cutesy at times. I think in Rogue Nation, He's the, the script, whatever, it works for me better. Like, I love the opening. The opening with the fucking plane, you know, crews on the side of a fucking real plane taking off. And then he goes in, straps himself. The guy's like, hey, what? Hits the parachute. Poof, we're right to the titles. Ah, I love that. It's perfect. Uh, but then, you know, uh, Peg has this really great moment, probably his best moment in the series, where he's like, I am a field agent now. I am going with you. And you're gonna respect me as another man. And Cruz is like, okay. And I, I, I thought that scene it it worked really well. But there does need to like we need some space at times. And I felt like Ethan hasn't been laid since on screen since part three. It's part five. They they've established that he's separated from his wife. She's got a whole other life going at the end of four. Let him sleep with Elsa. And I, I'm sure there's a lot of these young zoomers and. And people that that don't like sex scenes and don't like romance and movies, and they probably put this at the top of their shelf of reason why it's good, because they don't have sex. But she literally tells him in the third act, option three, you and I run away together. Yeah. I, 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 and I, it still works as a powerful moment, but I just can't help but wonder if it would have been more powerful if they'd actually had a real romance. And that was an option to take rather than just a flirtation. Like, like I, I, I'm maybe I'm wrong, but I don't even think they've ever kissed in the two movies. I was waiting at the end of Fallout when I rewatched. He's touching her face; it's very intimate. But I'm like, give me a smooch for fuck's sake. <laughs> well, but um, that that goes back to the whole thing that after Mission Impossible Two, Tom Cruise stopped knowing how to interact with women on screen. Well, I'd say Top Gun Maverick. He figured out some things. He, he no, he definitely got his A game back. There's no question about that. But there was that stretch there where he. 
literally interacted with women in his movies like he was an alien. Uh, and this is this is one of those. But yes, Maverick, he got it back. He brought the. Yeah. But they they still have heat. I mean that that shows how great these actresses are in their in their chemistry. Like she comes out of the pool and you're. I mean, she. she yes, it looks great. Uh, that dress in the opera scene is is just out of control. I mean, everybody so, like, knows the leg shot, right? The leg yeah. shot is legendary. Like, but then she also like will just jump up on dudes and use her ass to take their guns away. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like, like she does like Huracanranas and all these like these uh, Lucha Libre moves in the movies. And she's got that thick, those thick thighs. Uh, anyway, I'm-, I'm like, <laughs> No, so let me, let, me, let me say this. This is my threshold. When I am gonna be a pig on this show, I always think is dear friend, Jordan Cruciola, gonna be disappointed in me is she gonna like send me a dm and be like mike shut the fuck up what are you doing and i can tell you this there is nothing i can say about rebecca ferguson <laughs> that jordan will jordan's response will literally be rose the hat like like and so as long as i pass the jordan test i feel yeah. good about talking about stuff on this no i am um, so, you know how I said when we talked about MI2, I said there's my favorite and then objectively what I think is the best. This is objectively the best. This movie's fucking clockwork. This movie's perfection. This movie is everything you could ever fucking want out of a Mission Impossible movie. Um, it, the, 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 the amazing stunts are so supported by the things that come up afterwards that give them humanity. So perfect example is I love that, you know, we get the whole set piece of him under the, in the turbine and he dies and he's brought back. And then he comes out and Benji's like, you know, you, you were just dead like two minutes ago. He's like, yeah, what are we doing? Like, come on, let's go. You know? And it, it's just, this is the one that I really felt like, this is the one that feels to me like this is the Tom Cruise from Cocktail. This is the Tom Cruise that is starring in this movie, not because he's trying to save his career like Ghost Protocol and not because he's trying to push cinema forward like Fallout and Maverick. He's just starring in this movie because it's fucking fun and he loves being an actor and this movie is fucking fun and yeah, I, I do disagree with you, Liam, just because I don't think they establish. I think the end of Ghost Protocol establishes that he's still in love with Michelle Monaghan's character. And so I think for me, it would have been a little creepy if he had slept with Ilsa, which is why I love the end of Fallout with her literally handing the torch to Ilsa and saying, take care of him. You know, like, like, to me. <laughs> I, I, I like I, that. I just feel like, you know, in the world of spies, like, I don't know, we're used to James Bond being... I, like, no, I agree, but Ethan, but Ethan Hunt is not that spy. And, and and if you know the backstory, actually, Michelle Monaghan's character in MI3 was supposed to be Tandoe Newton. Like, that was... She was written as that... Like, that was the idea. She and Ethan got together and were married, and she was 
and they had to rewrite it and stuff like that. So Ethan's not James Bond. He's never really been written that way. I agree with you. I get it. Yeah, I, I just think we had the celibate Ethan in part four, and it was like, okay, for five, we could... Yeah, know, yeah, no, I, going, I don't, I don't know. disagree. And and they yeah. really, I think, did it the best way they could, which is just let Rebecca Ferguson be hotter than any human being has ever existed on the face of the earth. But also the stunts in this, but this is also the movie that gives us, you don't understand, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny. I mean, like, I'm sorry, I know people really, and I'll get to it when we talk about Fallout, but like, this to me is as good as a Mission Impossible movie can possibly be. It's everything for me personally, I want out of a Mission Impossible movie. It's fucking brilliant. I, I love this movie so goddamn much. Yeah. So to just save time, just once again, I'm going to reiterate my point here. That, you know, the, now that the, once again, the change of director this time around, Tom Cruise has found his, his ingenue or his, you know, his partner in crime. It's scary to his De Niro, you know, or the, the Bay to the, the Wahlberg to his Berg and or Bay. You know, how, how you are. This, this is, this is like, they found the team. This is it. Now, you know, of course, we have the uh, success of the Jack Reacher movie, the first one. Like, oh shit! Like he he got Tom Cruise, and Tom Cruise got McCory. They made this fucking marvelous kind of mid-budget out of nowhere movie. But now, yeah, so now they like to say just the stage is set for the ongoing. This is where it's going to go from now on. So yeah, so yeah, just from here, you know, like these five movies now, these different directors, I really appreciate that this whole kind of cacophony of like this is the different flavors. Of Mission Impossible, what it, what it could be, but that always at the center is Tom Cruise, and it makes it all that much more richer. But yeah, just it just just a stunt, you know. Just uh, I, oh, I got so much shit for this fucking thing that we'll talk about in the next movie. Is that um, I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't know who they're fighting. Like the the dude that was, I I, 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 I people were for that because, like, Solomon Lane, um, Solomon Lane, yeah, played by it's, it's, the Syndicate just, Vice. You yeah, need to remember the Syndicate. The Syndicate is just the last two. It's just the Macquarie movies. You can really look at them as sort of what's going to be there at almost a jumping point off from they'll they'll probably say oh the syndicate was involved all the way back in 1996 they do no they do like literally michael nyquist character is working for the syndicate and uh and and owen davian is working for the syndicate like well yeah michael nyquist i mean the plot of ghost protocol is very similar to fallout it's it's pretty, pretty, well, pretty that's part of my point is that i'm like i don't really like to me in my head i don't need to care about this this whole a uh, background evil organization, this like this fake specter thing going on, because once again, Tom Cruise is, is dying in a in a giant pool, or he's dying about to die on a plane, or or he's he's having good buddy time with with Luther. We have we have to talk about it yet, but we'll talk about it in a second. Like so, like at this point, I uh, and I guess like to be clarify, I'm not a huge super fan of the series, just like Indiana Jones, but I love them all for for the various reasons. But so, but this one is like yeah. Like, I don't have to care about any shit anymore to me. Like I don't have to care about the fucking rabbit's foot or the fucking the the Bellerophone virus. I just I do not care. I do not want to care. I want to see Tom Cruise almost die several times over. And it and the movie delivers that while also being hot and like uh well staged and tightly technically choreographed. Like it has all this stuff going on. And like and it's almost it's almost um It's like James Bond. But like James Bond's like mythology movie to movie was always very threadbare because they just want the biggest audience possible to be able to understand each episode. Yeah. So, and, yeah. yeah, and it kind of it, 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 to, to my point about the uh, 
the time, the era of, of the movies, so, you know, like a, at this point now, the Marvel Universe is deep in now, dominating cinema. When, and the, one of the complaints you have there is that um you have to watch either previous movies or shows to fully get buy into the, the mythology, buy into the characters, which I don't necessarily fully agree with, but I, 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 that, that's, it still stands. Like they're made that way to be all of this continuity. And so I wouldn't say I personally got fed up with that. You know, it's not hard for me to follow the the whole Infinity Saga, but like in this case, it's like, oh, this is great. I don't I don't need to care about the other four Mission Impossible's if I don't if I don't want to. Like, you know, I don't have to be a super fan of Ethan Hunt or or uh, the same thing with the again it's coming up in the next movie. Um, who's the guy from the first movie? The uh, the agent he's talking to. Kittredge. Kittredge is is coming yeah. up in, in part seven. Yeah. Yo, I look, 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 look. I see so many fucking nerds being like, "Oh my god, Kittredge is back! This is amazing!" Like, who the fuck is this dude? I do not care. Why the fuck do y'all care about this fucking nerd that he talks to for one second? He's like, the guy's performance in part one is 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 great. He has some great. No, I, I'm not saying he's not good. Yeah. Send him, send him to Alaska. Mail him his shoes. Like, <laughs> you like, yeah. I mean, like, you I'm can't. Not he's like, I'm like, I'm like, who the fuck? Uh, the whole point of this shit is that to, to escape the boundaries of continuity and like I don't we're here to see Tom Cruise die on a train or die getting beat up by Asian dude or or die drowning like I don't fucking care and so it's just like that that kind of that stuff I that it sticks in my craw because it feels antithetical to what the main goal is because even as Corey and Tom Cruise have said in, 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 in quoted interviews like uh people don't remember the fucking plots. Remember, this is the one with the building. This is the one with the train. This is the one with the airplane. Yeah. This is the one with the helicopter. Like that's what I'm fucking here for. And like, I. I but I, the I, movies themselves take care of you. Like, like I'd say the the most sequel ish of the movies is Fallout, like because it's such a sequel to Rogue Nation. It has right, the right. same bad guy. Uh, it has Ilsa back. It's got yeah. the most kind of returning elements. It's got um, Alec Baldwin, which we didn't mention. Like he's got fucking Jack Ryan as fucking. Uh, you know, uh, as 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 Ethan's boss is just yeah. awesome in, in itself. So Fallout is the most sequelish, but it opens with like him literally sitting at a computer in the movie, just telling you everything you needed to know from the previous ones for like <laughs> ten minutes. So they yeah. they never they never make you have to do yeah. homework. Exactly. So they'll show Kittredge in part seven, but I guarantee you they will provide all the context that you wanted to need. There was that famous clip. Where some, it seemed kind of like a rude question where the guy was saying to Cruise out on the red carpet, uh, there's so many people who have never seen a Tom Cruise movie. Where should they start with your career? And he like has this fake smile plastered on. He's like, Gen Reckoning Part One. <laughs> it, he's, he's true because he's a salesman, but it was also just like, hey, fuck you. Everyone's seen a Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I think they do do a good job of that. I guess we'll, we should we should talk about Fallout to try to wrap this up in a some sort of reasonable time. But um, yeah, I mean, it does everything uh, that Rogue Nation does for me. And then it, it does kind of just up the fucking spectacle of trying to do these insane stunts from from the you know the jump at the beginning uh i can't i cannot tell you though how excited i was in the theater when i thought they'd actually let three nukes go off at the beginning of the movie <laughs> i was like oh because that that's kind of been like one of my dreams is like i've always wanted to combine a james bond movie with a disaster movie but have the disaster happen and have the world have to deal with the disaster of what what if james bond doesn't get his mission done and the bad guy's plot goes off and now James Bond has to try to save what's left. 
So I've I mean, had... that's that's kind of the sum of all fears. Yeah, With Affleck. I mean, that you know, that's a mediocre movie and a mediocre book, but that is kind of literally that plot. So I, yeah. I agree with you because I think that that could be done better and in a more interesting way than the sum of all fears did it. Yeah. The sum of all fears is definitely like less of, it's more of the dramatic action than, than the, the full on mission impossible type action. But I, 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 that's basically was the plot of this uh, script that I reworked called singularity, which was a, uh, you know, a black hole, the black hole action one. So I reworked that one later to be more of that. And I the was one trying where, to- Is this again, is this the one where Mars punches the moon? Yes. In the later versions, it didn't go as big with that, but it was more of a like Jerry Butler has to. So a black hole gets started in like uh, uh, Arizona and he has to stop it before it gets to L.A. And it was like uh, a very fun movie. But I was like that. So when when I thought at the beginning of this that they had let the nukes go off and that like the whole world order was going to be changed and this was going to be like kind of a sci fi movie. There is such an exciting moment for me. But it still made sense when he said, call it and the walls drop. And you're like, Oh my God, they got Wolf Blitzer. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to say like, I, I still, I'm still of two minds about that scene even now, because it harkens back to a criticism quote unquote that some people have of part three, where the beginning is like, Oh my God, Ethan Hunt is, this is real. He's in some real shit. You know, his wife is going to die. And she, but then like, it's, it's, it's all a ruse. And some people are kind of like missed about that because you know, it, they don't, you don't really want this to happen to Tom Cruise or uh, Ethan Hunt. Um, but like, so it feels, some people say it's like deflates the tension and eh, whatever. That's part of it. Yeah. So no, I, did, I, I think it's a valid criticism, but you have to go back to like, if they did that, the, the, the well, movie would not do well. It, yeah. And it's also kind of, that's not what, you, that's not a Mission Impossible movie. Exactly. Right? It's like yeah. leverage, right? Or, or an Oceans movie. Right. In an Oceans movie, do we want to watch Danny and and everybody get arrested? No, we might want to watch that in another movie. But a Mission Impossible movie, the entire reason this series exists is Ethan doesn't lose. Yeah. Uh, So, so yeah. So I was I was I, I agree with that. I just it was so exciting in the moment no, I, because yeah. holy shit, it's called Fallout. I and they still just everyone. I yeah. still I like I'm with you. I would watch that movie. Yeah. I just think it needs to not be a mission impossible. Yeah. But that's no, a great plot. Like like just, yeah. It was fantastic. Uh, no, I had the same vibe. Opening. Yeah, I and had then, the same vibe when I watched it. It was the same thing. I had the exact same thought as you. I was like, oh my God, did they actually go there? Yeah. And I also yeah. like that like it, it kind of a this is a it, it's um the feeling, the sensation is reflected upon again later on when the bad guy, Superman, is like, uh, I'm tired of your fucking Halloween masks. And then like, he, uh, spoiler, he gets like duped. But like, like, oh, that's how I felt in the beginning of the movie. I was like, oh, wait, oh, you got me. You got me good. But you know, but I, I, I was like, okay, that was good, good job, guys. You, good prank. You fooled me. You got me. <laughs> so bad guy, Superman, we should talk. So yes, Henry Cavill. And again, they're constantly trying to make evil versions of Hunt and uh, you know they they successfully did Ilsa in part five, and then part six is uh, a great cavalry role, I think. And I think it's a it, it's such a it, it it's again Cruz is so canny as a producer, and he he'll bring in the young gun with the heat, and he'll hook him up, but still at the end be like, who do you like the best? Yeah. <laughs> It's, me, so it's, still like, it's such a it's such a better version of what i think vin does in, in the fast things and you guys know i love vin but it's like he like 
it, it, it's, he doesn't, I don't feel like Cruz is, feels as domineering of his co-stars in it. Cruz to me is very much like, I used to say this about William Shatner, where William Shatner's ego was so big that he was completely unthreatened by anybody else. And therefore he could give spotlights to people. Cruz's ego and confidence is so big and so secure that he'll let Glenn Powell look amazing in a movie. He'll let Henry Cavill look amazing in a movie because he knows you're still going to come back to Tom Cruise. Ben <laughs> has a giant ego, but I think he's got an insecurity that, that, sure. that holds him back on that. Cruise is just like, yeah, Henry Cavill, you may have been Superman, but you weren't Jerry fucking Maguire. <laughs> right? Yeah. He's such a funny, he's such a funny role. I love that Cruz saves him, you know, on the, the amazing sky jump, which, you know, they, it's so much of it's in camera. I know they had to add clouds and lightning and stuff like that. Um, but then when he lands, he's like, he doesn't know that he got saved. And he's like, looks like you lost your oxygen tank as he lands perfectly. And he's wrapping up the parachute. Just like he's such a, he's an evil himbo. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it's so much joy from that. And then we talk about um, Vanessa Kirby, uh, and as the as the white widow, and I, I don't know, I really like this crew scene at the bar where she's like, "Oh, you're you're a little too good looking. I I didn't think you were. Uh, I I thought someone in your trade would be a little uglier." And he grabs her by the wrist and pulls her in. He's like, "I'm as ugly as they come," and I'm like, "Oh my god, he's still got the juice. Look at him. He's my, trying something." My favorite scene in the movie is the one. It's the 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 scene at the the hijacking. And they literally set it up so that you think Ethan's actually going to have to like surrender his morals and kill these cops and do this stuff. And then you find out, no, he's Ethan. He's still always one step ahead of everybody like that. That is such a fucking great scene to, again, establish why for a character that is, you know, as Vice and a lot of people pointed out is kind of a bit of a nobody. Why we still keep going back to Ethan Hunt, because. Well, he's the living manifestation of destiny. I mean, that's why we keep going back to him. Yeah, he's like, uh, he's like the, in this movie shows like a, you mentioned like the government suits and like a, now again in the era of the movies in, we kind of, there's this cognizance of the evils that the government can do. And even Ethan Hunt is like the, the fantasy of what if there was one good guy? He's also the one best guy in the government. And like, that's what kind of makes that, yes, you want, I want you to save America from itself and the rest of the world too. Like you, you, you're rooting for that that altruism that you, is kind of rare nowadays. Like similar to Captain America, whatever. Like he's he's the one good guy that yeah. going to fix this all. You it's know? A, there's there's an old saying, and I don't I can't quote who it's from, but it's I've said it about Captain America too. It's the the quote is I'm going to paraphrase it is that the reasonable man adapts to the world and the unreasonable man expects the world to adapt to him therefore all progress all human progress is based on unreasonable men and that's that's literally ethan hunt right ethan hunt just like you said vice like captain america he makes the world adapt to him and that's rogue nation of fallout is where that that really comes home that really uh, because I, the one thing I will say why I still more than anything, why I love rogue nation more than fallout is I love the end of rogue nation when they capture lane in the, the glass boxes and hunt says, this is my team. 
And and unfortunately, in Fallout, we get the team, which there's an argument to be made. This is actually a great thing. The team saves the world while Hunt's too busy, like trying to fuck up Henry Cavill, uh, <laughs> which is 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 a good point. But I love that the whole point of Rogue Nation is it's literally the one movie out of all of them where the only thing it all comes together because Ethan finally relies on the team. I mean, Ilsa gets the big hand-to-hand fight scene at the end of Rogue Nation. Um, Fallout, it's too much a little bit for me about, well, we want to see Tom Cruise fly a helicopter, which is amazing. Don't get me wrong. He has to get the detonator for them to cut the Yeah, no, no. And and his exhaustion, this is the other thing I love in Rogue Nation when the opera scene, when he tells the guy he's fighting, he's like, okay, hold on. He's doing the Keanu Reeves, like John Wick thing too. Like I, you guys know how much I love old action stars embracing that they're old. It's the same reason I love bad boys for life. Like I just, I love that. And then it's the same thing at the end of fallout when he's so fucking hanging on the side of that cliff. And he's just so goddamn exhausted. (laughs) And he's like, Oh, it's such an amazing moment on that, that cliff side is that they both land on a place where you go, Oh, they're going to both come out and have this fight along the cliff side. And then they're just like, no, we're both just going to fall all the way off the cliff and have the fight be hanging. And you're like, Oh my fucking God. Like, yeah, so uh, yeah. I'll just say, um, I, I guess for me, this is maybe my favorite one. Um, but again, I don't have like a. There's not like I don't have a specific ranking. Just like I, this one is more fresh in my mind. What work is newer, but also because like uh, like we mentioned before, it kind of encapsulates all the movies thus far, all the elements of them to this one. But yeah, like the fucking bathroom fight scene with Liang Yang, like, like that is one of the best fight scenes of the decade of the 21st century. Like Henry like, Cavill fucking cocking his arms is yeah. just still, and I know that's become a meme, and I know people love to be like, "Oh, it's amazing he grew a beard," and I'm like, "Oh, I'm sorry you don't fucking know how movies and lighting work," but <laughs> it is still such a fucking baller thing for him to do, and it's such a, it goes back to Mi Two. It's such a little John Woo like yeah. character piece yeah. of why does he do this? Our friend Matt Essery uh, tweeted how to tweet go viral a while ago about that. Why does he do it? Because it's fucking cool. I'm sorry you can't appreciate that. Sometimes shit in movies happen just because it's fucking cool. And, and even <laughs> this in, goes yeah. back to Elsa busting into the nightclub with the White Widow, and she fucking hurricanranas the gun out of a guy's head and then kicks <laughs> him in the face. And I'm just like, no one else is doing that. Like it's it, it it's and, so crazy. And that this fight scene in the bathroom kind of encapsulates all that because. You see Cavill being cool, and then and meanwhile Tom getting his ass kicked. He's like, "Oh, oh God, I here, here I go, <laughs> get my ass kicked in." And then you know they they and at the end they get saved by Elsa, who's like, "Fuck all this fighting bullshit!" Bah, bah. Like it's like <laughs> perfect. You're like, this is this, like, what, what are you guys wasting time for? Come on, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm I'm sorry if your way of watching movies is you want to watch a fucking documentary. Go watch a fucking documentary. Like enjoy shit being cool. For no reason other than it's fucking cool. If it doesn't work for you, it's probably because it's not as cool as the director thought it was. Uh, mentioning a couple weeks ago, the movie with uh, Harry Potter having guns stuck to his hands. But like, if it's like Christopher McQuarrie doing it, it's fucking cool. I'm sorry, just enjoy that shit happens in this movie because it's fucking cool. And for no reason other than well, I, I, I just go again to like the way the action is filmed in this compared to to Rogue Nation, which is I think as elegantly clean and and kind of classical 
and imperfect, which is there's no wrong answer for me on this. But then Fallout, like the motorcycle chase in Fallout through Paris is like, what the fuck? Like, I don't even know how they do it. Like, it's so much clearer. Like the camera shots of him are so them in the moment. And it feels like he learned from the motorcycle filming in Rogue Nation. And then he like takes it this step further into like a hyper realism with some of the shots and the stunts well, that are mind blowing to me. That's actually it brings up a good point. Cause I remember reading, maybe it was on Twitter or it was an interview, but McQuarrie saying the only way that he would agree to come back for fallout was if he treat, he needed to treat it like he was making a completely different movie. So he literally had a different cinematographer, a different, uh, different score, different, stunt crew different everything he's like the only way i'm going to be able to do this is if i treat it like it's not a sequel it's a different movie and i think that's one of the things that's most fascinating is yes as much as i love rogue nation i love how different fallout is and it's it's the one time you know it's the only time where we've had the same director make two mission impossible movies and they do not look they look and feel as different as mi2 and ghost protocol and that's that's really where mcquarrie's brilliance lies i mean opening like think about the opening of fallout with the like a weird dream sequence and then him fucking getting neutralized by a nuclear blast it's just like there's nothing like that in rogue nation it's a completely it's a nice palate cleanser right off the bat yeah i don't know we gotta wrap up but i just want to um i saw uh this is one of few movies i've seen in imax so i think maybe my as much as people love the uh, the Halo jump, I still think the helicopter flight chase is the best because, like, it, it again, it, it uh, one you're seeing Tom Cruise behind the stick for real. You see it, you're in the fucking cockpit, and you can see the the landscape that he's whizzing by. And again, that kind of it, it's kind of the best of all worlds. It's the uh, intimacy of of this action, like I got that I mentioned in part two, but then also the, the grand scope and scale of everything we've been talking about so far up to this point. Like, like, and, and of course. Only Maverick could do this. Like nobody, you wouldn't buy this from anybody else to be in a cockpit flying for real. It has to be fucking Tom Cruise, and it works. So like, like I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in the theater. Like, oh my god, I'm flying in a helicopter with Tom Cruise. I, I really felt like that. It was like magic. Like that's that's nobody, nobody else, no other series. I agree that. completely. The Halo jump to me felt only really impressive because I had read all the behind the scenes stuff and the stuff leading up to it. Like, don't get me wrong, it's still a great shot, but the fucking helicopter chase was. God damn. <laughs> like, yeah, which is, they kind of fixed like the, the, the ghost protocol thing of like, don't like put your biggest thing at the end. Mm-hmm. And, and so like that, yeah, the ending of fallout is just so epic. Um, that, well, like, but it's, it's also so nicely epic, but so nicely intimate because again, you have Benji and Ilsa and uh, God, I, I'm drawing John a blank. Harris. Well, and, uh, but I'm drawing a blank on Michelle Monaghan's name and Wes Bentley, you know, you've got them trying to disarm this nuke, which is a very intimate thing while you've got Ethan fucking flying a helicopter trying yeah. to chase down Ethan Superman. Ethan. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, and evil, evil badass Superman. Yeah. And, yeah. And like, I love when he grabs Sean Harris, who he thinks is Sean Harris. He's like, why are you making this so fucking complicated? And you're like, oh, whoa, this guy's got this whole other darkness to him. Yeah. Um, but we should shout out Luther because I know Vice mentioned it earlier. There is one of my favorite little gags where uh, in that scene where um, Benji's like, 
why do I have to be Solomon Kane? And Luther just goes like this. He's like, I, I'm a big black man. We do, we do need, we do absolutely need to shout out. We have been absolutely bereft of giving the only other person besides Tom Cruise who's been in every Mission Impossible movie, the Almighty Ving Rames. And whether it's he shows up at the end of Ghost Protocol, to call or, him corny. <laughs> or he's he's a major part of the movie, like Rogue Nation. He has been nothing but amazing in this entire series. Uh, and uh, shout out to him for being uh, the original George the Iceman Chambers uh, for our action free people. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I do. We, I feel like we, sh the problem is we could have just talked about Ving Rhames for the whole episode. So I will just say, Ving Rhames rules in these movies. He rules in everything. Yeah, it's like and, a, uh, there's always the uh, double seven comparison, and I guess he's like not quite the same as the Oscar Felix Oscar Felix thing, but like it's that same like the one man that James Bond can trust is that person. Like this is the one. Well, and Benji too. Eventually, Benji becomes the the you know the, the triumvirate of them three. But like like yeah, he's been there from the beginning, and it's kind of funny because like he almost kind of does less stuff as movies go on, but but like you know he's a He's, he's tired. His knees hurt. It's tired. You know, old black man. The government. Have you ever met an old black man in a government job? I know you have, Mike. Like, <laughs> it's tired. <laughs> well, and, and that's what I love. You know, again, if you watch these back to back, I love that they set that up because in the first one, you get the whole scene of of uh, him saying, Ethan, I'm not going to allow that list to get out. And Ethan says, that's exactly what I expect you to do. And so you like from the very first movie, you establish that they are boys and yes you're right he is tired i mean even in mi2 he's fucking tired like he's so constantly tired of ethan's bullshit ethan you can't be doing this like he's just so tired of ethan's shit and and i love it i love but again he's he's ethan's boy he's the only dude uh, up until benji comes yeah. in but he's the only dude that ethan can trust and and that's set up from the very first movie, and that's, and I mean honestly, would you not trust Ving Rhames? Like if Ving Rhames was like, <laughs> I'm not gonna let that out. It's like, well, no, of course you wouldn't. Why would you? You're Ving fucking Rhames. Like, yeah. I I really love the speech he gives to Ilsa in Fallout, which is kind of like it, it encapsulates his whole character. And he's like, I've known him for a long time. There's only two women that I've seen him really all about, but like. This whole problem was because he wouldn't let me die, and uh, and I, know, I just love that moment because it is it's true. It's like it, that that's what the whole story is about. So you think these are minor characters, but they continue to bring them back and enrich them. And even in that moment, Benji's all nervous and he's like, he's like, you wanted to be the field agent, tough guy, and he's like, now I want to be the guy at the van. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, it is watching them in short order back to back, uh, and that's what I love about the last two and I'm looking forward so much to Dead Reckoning, is that McCory is definitely going back and looking at the other ones, and he's constantly kind of, I guess, adding a little bit more continuity with Vice's uh, complaining about someone, but I think it enriches it because every time the new movie comes out, everyone goes back and watches the old ones, and you start to yep. you know, have that well, different experience with these it, things over time. It's very James Bond, right? Some James Bond movies have continuity, some don't. But the ones that have continuity, regardless of what some of us may think about No Time to Die, does add a little bit of richness. I mean, 
every James Bond movie since On Her Majesty's Secret Service has been dealing with the fact that James's wife was murdered, you know? And so it's it's in the margins, but that's, yeah, that's what I love about this. But also, you know, tying, circling it all the way back to our start. At the end of the day, I love Mission Impossible because Ethan won't fail. He doesn't know how. <laughs> and uh and that's what makes those movies so fucking good um boys i know we we had a couple other things we want to talk about we're going on two and a half hours i think we should probably vice you loved uh you loved the jennifer lawrence movie i will just say people should watch it because if vice loved it then you should absolutely watch it yeah we have some good comedy going on right now in theater so you check it out before before you get your mom blown by tom cruise you have to have a good laugh with you joy ride and uh and uh no far far feelings thumbs up go check them out yeah and uh and like i said uh the covenant great watch it uh all right vice where can people find you so as always i'm on instagram looking hot at vice like this uh get some cool stuff there on Letterbox, being smart, um, at same thing there. Uh, I'll have my review for, reviews for uh, Joe Ryden. Uh, I know her feelings up soon. Um, oh, this is new. I haven't said this yet, but um, thanks to you, I'm I'm on the Blue Sky or whatever the fuck it's called. The the, the not Twitter, the fake Twitter. Yeah, um, you're not you're not posting very much, but uh, you are on there. There's no, I can't post no like uh blade clips or like uh, uh clips of uh like a busting gun. So like, what's the point? But still. I have it. I am on Blue Sky at Vice like this, just in case this shit blows up. Um, you know, but I, now and once they fix their whole video thing, I'll I'll, forget, I'll be there doing more stuff. But again, as always, until it explodes, until the wheels fall off, I'm on Twitter at Vice like this, talking all the shit. Liam O'Donnell, where can people find you? Liam, you are muted. I'm so glad that was you this time muted and not me. That makes me so happy. Uh, I can tell it's been two and a half hours because the children are are starting to scream and cry in the background. Um, You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Liam Odin. And uh, thank you guys. I was so, so good to hang out with you guys again. Yeah. Really, really, uh, you know. Yeah. One of the highlights of my week. I I needed this. I I needed it. I, I was, I was thinking about, pushing this off another week just because of everything that's going on but i do not regret hanging with you boys uh this was this i needed this um and i do appreciate somebody on twitter that said you should just change your name to uh odin uh all uh olivier megaton and uh i agree with that completely i think you should absolutely do that um I'll just wear the gut full god armor in my friend photos. <laughs> just like yep. absolutely pisses people off. That'd be great. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh you can find uh I don't yeah, I'm not even gonna say where you can find me. I don't give a shit. You can find uh us on Twitter at A4E Podcast. I think it might be time to change the name back to Action for Everyone podcast and not Action Bozos, by the way. Oh, <laughs> I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. You're right. That's I can do that. That's not a problem. I I'll take care of that today. Um, uh, you can also find us on blue sky, uh, at, uh, a4e podcast. You can, I'm gonna, I, I have zero interest in signing up for threads, but I do need, I don't want somebody squatting on our fucking name. So I'm going to sign up for threads. So we'll be on there as well. Um, and, uh, you're listening to us. So, you know, you can find us anywhere. Podcasts can be found, um, next week. Dead Reckoning, where obviously we've we've obviously built up to it. So next week we're going to be talking about Dead Reckoning and we'll probably have some other stuff to talk about too. But uh, 
I have a feeling that Dead Reckoning is going to give us some stuff to talk about. So, uh, <laughs> boys, I love you. Let's do this again next week. Peace. Cheers. 